Metaphysics is going to have to be the quote-unquote religion of tomorrow. If it isn't, you're fucked. Totally and absolutely. This may be even be a better beginning, but I was thinking about what you were saying about biscuits. <laughs> and how gluttonous and unapologetic biscuits are. And I just realized that for the past, maybe uh maybe for the past few days, but I've had cra- cravings for pancakes for some reason. And that's not, you know, pancakes, they don't come around very often. It's just that kind of thing. It's a lot of work to make them and it's like, you know, you probably, you know, you probably shouldn't be eating them. They're not, you know, not a great meal to be having just in general, just a bunch of big ass bread with syrup on it. But uh, it took me probably almost a week to deal with it. But then today, my daughter made me pancakes this morning for breakfast because I guess you heard me mention them a couple of times throughout the week. I was like, I should go to IHOP, just considering ways of scheming and trying to get to pancakes. But I, I think there's some kind of gluttonous bread constellation in the cosmos right now or something. I mean, Something weird's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't usually have that type of effect on me. I've kind of overcome my need for bread. But hearing about your uh, biscuit fiasco and then lining it up with my pancake fiasco, I'm starting to see a pattern here. Well, make no mistake, I had pancakes too. Oh, shit. It, yeah, if it was going it, to, it, I'm going all in if I'm going <laughs> to do terrible things to my body. And there's no redemptive nutritional qualities to biscuits or pancakes. There's none. Now I used very little syrup. This is just pure sugar. I there was butter. The butter was sufficient. Yeah. And then just a little bit of syrup because I'm like, ah, so much sugar. Well, but yeah, man. The, the biscuits syrup. and the undeniably delicious. Or oh, yeah. horrific. Horrific nutritional value. I feel good because I got good syrup. So that was that was nice. It was like some nice organic you know, 100% maple, the, the good stuff, you know what I mean? Mm. The uncut, unstepped on, you know, that nice shit. And we also had some uh, blueberry preserves on hand. So that makes you nice. feel a lot less guilty when there's fruit on top of your pancakes. You know, you feel a little bit more posh and respectable instead yeah. of, just, you know, a gluttonous <laughs> carb monster. <laughs> like, pancakes are terrible. Yeah. Terrible. But, I mean, listen, Every now and then, it makes perfect sense. Not Absolutely. often. Not often. But every now and then, it makes perfect fucking sense to have pancakes for breakfast. And one of the good things about having pancakes for breakfast is you're probably not going to need to eat dinner. Oh no, it's it's a wrap for the day. <laughs> I've been I've been filled since 10 a.m. this morning. Just completely no desire for food. I probably won't eat very much tomorrow either. Right. You'll probably have a, at least one more bite of pancake though. Oh no, absolutely it's, it's not. It's just about it's just about addiction. Well, if there's any left, like if say if you got a plate sitting in the kitchen with two or three pancakes left on it, you will definitely bite one of those pancakes. I do not want to see a pancake. I don't want to see a biscuit. I don't want to smell them. I don't want to see commercials about them. I want no parts of them. Yeah, it was I'm, good. It was good in the moment. Yeah, it's always good in the moment. I'm in That's, the regret phase now. <laughs> the guaranteed regret phase. I think. Bits, biscuits and gravy might be one of the most profitable things you can sell at a restaurant. I feel like biscuits and gravy might be one of the most, like where you you just make the most money in a percent on Gotta biscuits. Be. The it's, margins it's, have it's, to be nothing. amazing. 
they're amazing. Only other thing I think I know my homie told me once about uh, garlic knots. Because he used to work at a pizzeria. He said the garlic knots made him the most money out of everything. Because it's like, you know, it's freaking 10 cents worth of dough. And they could charge you, you know, sell you five of them for three fifty, <laughs> just so you can eat them while you wait for your pizza. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was banging with the garlic knots, bro. Yeah, and they're a big draw. Oh yeah, yeah, for ten cents worth of dough. <laughs> Dude, when just in a day of just not caring to order some wings and some garlic knots. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wings are getting uh, wings are scarce these days. I hear. Yeah, I heard they had to change Wingstop to Thigh Stop. Is that true? Or is that in the network? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, th- I don't think they changed them all. I think he was doing an experimental thing at, at a few locations because oh, okay. of the wing pressure. You know, the pressure in the wing industry. Obviously, something crazy. But then it's like the, my first thought was, I mean, a, a chicken has two wings and two thighs. So if there's a wing shortage, right. I see where I you're going. Like there might be a thigh shortage also. I'm not sure. Unless they're just selling out of the wings and stockpiling the thighs somewhere. Like I can't imagine that that's not also because it's just a general chicken shortage, not just a chicken part shortage, right? That's I, what I would think. I mean, maybe maybe there's a thigh surplus that we're not aware of. I mean, I know most people prefer. The wings and the titties. I, I personally like the drumsticks and the thighs. I feel right. like it's juicier meat. I don't like the, I don't like the dry chicken titties. Also, but, the yeah. thighs. If you if you want to know the hustle for people who who are listening and you happen to eat Chinese food, when you go to the mall, all the chicken that you get at the mall are thighs. Yeah, it's all thigh meat. All sure. all this thigh meat. They're not playing no games with y'all with white breasts. They they ain't doing none of that shit. They're like, yeah, to give them the thighs. So a lot of people don't even know that that's their favorite piece of meat. That General Tso's, that bourbon chicken, that you some little samples. Mm-hmm. They well, maybe that's the thing of the past. Now I sound like an ancient relic, right? The samples at the mall. That's pre-pandemic talk. You can't just be handing out food in the mall no more. That's crazy. No, I'm I'm sure they'll still do it. I'm sure I can go up to any one of these places and ask for a little bit on a stick and they'll do it. Oh, man. That's like got to be going against some kind of CDC codes or something. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Got it. It's, <laughs> it's got always it. embarrassing to me when you see somebody just clearly exploiting the system. You see that a lot at ice cream places. Like they'll ask, well, let me try the bubble gum again. Yeah. Like, you can't try it again. I want to <laughs> compare. I had the cheesecake and now my palate's different, but uh, maybe I do want the bubble gum. Like, I've seen people get, like, five or six yeah. sample scoops before. They're like, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. Can I get a bottle of water to clean my and palate just leave. between samples? <laughs> and clean my palate between samples. Just give me a bottle of water. And I'll pay that. I'll pay three fifty dollars for a bottle of water. <laughs> and then I'll just uh, sample all this ice cream several times <laughs> and leave. Thank you. I appreciate your generosity. I didn't mean to hold up the line. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> you can get your ice cream now. Fuck it, why not, dude? People, hey, people are gonna pimp the system, right? That's what, that's what happens. Oh, did you happen to take a look at the uh, the article that I sent you earlier? I did not. Uh, about the um, well, there's something about uh, a community somewhere where a company came in and bought, pretty much bought the neighborhood, and the company who owns it now 
they, they decided they're going to raise uh, everybody's rent by like a pretty large percentage. And uh, so a lot of people are going to get fucked. Wow. Yeah, a lot of people are definitely going to get screwed. But this uh, kind of goes to this conversation that I have been having recently, and I think we dabbled on it a little bit too, about the private property. And so who's who would really be being infringed upon in their, you know, their pursuit of their freedom and happiness in this situation? Because you have a company, this is in Gainesville, a company who bought this whole neighborhood, and I guess they're... Uh, logistics or whatever it is tells them that they can get significantly more per unit but not just not from the people who live there and it seems like a, a lot of older people are in the community and some of the things that i found interesting about this particular place that they were saying they made it a point to say was uh, most of the residents been there over 20 years and uh, crime in this area is relatively lower compared to the surrounding areas. So that's another thing that they were saying is safe here, you know, so it's a community. A lot of people know each other. There's not a lot of knuckleheadery going on around here. So they said people are paying on average somewhere around 525 for their rent and the company is trying to raise it to 900, a management company. So we know people, uh, you know, like I said, a company bought it and they want to raise the prices. So they think, more people with more money can come live there. And then you have people who've been living there for 20 years who are like, so we're going to be fucked. Where do we go? Like, how would you fix that in a, in a political way, in a, you know, social activist? Like, what would be the answer for that on paper without screwing? Well, not without screwing anybody, but I guess we would be thinking from the top that the bottom line is to make sure that everybody comes out better. Nobody's getting totally screwed in this situation. I don't. I don't even know how we would approach something like that in laws and writing shit and trying to. What would be the path to fixing that? Who who has a right to be there? Who has any of that? That's a fucking crazy conversation that I don't. I don't see any other answer to other than the shit that we always say. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there is any any political answer to that, because what are you what I mean, what would be the grievance that would be, OK, someone's buying it and raising the rent. But if you don't own it, I mean, you're not really in a position to negotiate or to argue about it. If you don't if you don't own the land or where you stay, um, people can raise rent. I don't know. That, that's why, you know, I, I support the cult model. Of ownership in the middle of the wilderness, nobody can can raise your rent. Yeah, that was that was a rough one for me because I remember what we talked about recently, and and even uh, impossible preparation for visiting other people's shows that talk about this kind of stuff. Like those are the questions that I have because, of course, when you look at that, I think most people, most people, would look at that and see where the trauma is going to come in at, like how it's just fucked up to say oh well you know you don't own it so like where are we going to live where are we going to go how are we blah 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 all of that so that's a some horrible shit that we don't want to deal with and we wouldn't want our family to have to deal with and all of that but on the same hand if you're a business owner what incentive or what reason would you have to not try to get the most you could possibly get 
<laughs> if the, if people are living there paying five hundred dollars, and you honestly think that you can get nine, like you wouldn't be trying to kick people out, and then all of a sudden nobody's living in the units and the shits. You paying the taxes or whatever, however it go, it could be a problem eventually for a business. So obviously they see something. If they think they can get nine hundred, they're just going to price people out, get new people in there paying nine hundred dollars. What is the, you know, what? How do you call that wrong? in a business sense all right and this is the problem is that just the problem with capitalism well i mean there's a couple things to consider one um the amount that they're paying right now and it is unfortunate because you talked about a neighborhood that built a good sense of community the people that live there they feel safe right. they had this little chunk of reality that they invested their energy uh in and they've, they've carved out a nice little existence for themselves. But the couple of problems that come in is property's always going to have to be updated and renovated, right? And when you think from the perspective of more than likely the company, uh, you know, it might be publicly traded, you know what I'm saying? It might be in a real estate ETF portfolio or something like that where people are investing money or whatever, you know, fund is called. I'm sure there's there's people that are expecting a return on that. So if they say, okay... You know, I'm obligated to grow, so we're going to be putting some money into renovating these places. We could get 800 to 900 after, you know, we do X, Y, and Z and renovate, and people would be willing to pay it. And it sucks that it would price some people out of living there. But it's it's like, okay, are they running a charity? Like, the, their job isn't to make sure people have a place to live. So when you think about that problem... Right. And how the market solves that problem, how the government would solve that problem. It, it might create even more issues. But the, one of the unfortunate fallouts of how the market solves that problem is people pay what they can and the, the market determines what the value of something is. And if they can get 800 or 900 there, you know, they have a fiduciary responsibility to the people that, you know, it's, so it's also to think if you think from the perspective of the person that lives there in that place that's paying five twenty-five a month. I mean, that's amazing. I can't think of anywhere like I've ever lived without renting out a room. But to like have a place for five twenty-five, I've I've never in my adult life, the smallest, shittiest place I've I've ever lived as an adult, I've never paid less than six hundred dollars for a place to stay. Even in renting out a room. So I mean that's like a, a super duper of course, nobody would want to lose paying out on that, you know, so I don't know what determined that price point up until now, because it seems kind of depressed versus what I'd imagine most people pay for rent. So it just I, I don't know what the easy answer is, because if you say, OK, petition the government to intervene. OK, well, you can't you can't raise the rates. OK, well, if you can't raise the rates, it's not financially um, attractive for any kind of company to want to own it or want to manage it. So if it's not profitable, it just goes into disrepair. Now, nobody takes responsibility because, I mean, shit isn't going to last forever. And if you're talking about, you know, people not wanting to pay more than 525 a month, I don't know necessarily that they would have the capital to say, okay, let's renovate these buildings, right? Because they don't, they don't own them, they're renting them. So, right. so how do you come up with that price point where it's attractive for the management company to maintain it and renovate it and be responsible for it, and their margins are so small, they want to they want to sell biscuits, 
He's saying they want they want housing biscuits. <laughs> they want to give you ten cent a dough, and have you pay five ninety nine for the garden, the garlic knots. It just, you know, and it's just there's there's like there's parameters where it just becomes egregious and ugly. You know, eight hundred a month to rent somewhere. I mean, I don't know. I can't see that as man. That's that's horrible. If it was eighteen hundred right. a month, I'd be like, okay, that's a little insane. Well, yeah, I'm all, I'm also I'm looking at the place. I, I looked at some images of the place, and I'm just like, this does. It seems a little bit weird to me, but I've seen these kind of places before. It almost looks like a um, like a motel. Like it's just a bunch of small apartments in mm-hmm. a cul-de-sac kind of vibe, but it, that's how tiny the shit is. It looks like almost looks like a motel, but yeah. Uh, to think that they can go from what they have now at 500 to 900 like i said they must have a plan they that i don't think they're trying to lose money you know i'm sure well, there's some gentrification uh conspiracy theories that could be at play here and all of that but even then it's just it's really about money at the end of the day that's the bottom line but i don't know is i mean is it staying low because it's rent controlled is it was there a private owner that owned it and then was like uh i don't want to be burdened with this because it could have been a family that owned it and was willing to upkeep it if it's like you know it's not a 300 unit you know condominium or apartment complex but if it's like one of those things was maybe like 30 units or 20 units you know what i'm saying something not that big um and maybe somebody was like "Eh, i'll just sell it i don't want to deal with it they got their money out of manage and now the property management company's like listen it's not it's just not attractive to us it's not lucrative for us to, to go at this price point. It's just not, it's not something that's feasible. So I don't know what could have changed that would have prompted this. Um, did it say what, what changed? Was it well, it says, ownership? Uh, yeah, it says a uh, key city, a Texas based private equity firm bought 26 buildings in the complex oh, okay. in Gainesville. And then, it's, and it's being managed by another property in Jacksonville. So it's like, they're keeping everything all split apart. You can manage it from over here. We'll buy it from over there. And I guess mm-hmm. it's just some, a blind, you know, cash grab for them. They're not thinking about none of the extra politics. They're like, yo, they, they're going for five. We can, we can get nine out of them. So let's do it. I don't, it's probably not much more than that. Well, it seems like in this environment, but that's probably just one of those companies they don't care. They're not putting up a black square on their website. You know what I mean? Like they're just like, listen, we don't, we don't have any kind of reputation. We're not a name brand like Coca Cola or Amazon yeah, that we, we need you to have squishy fun. feelings about us. Nobody's gonna give a shit because it's definitely not the environment. If you were a big known company, that you would want that headline risk, even if it was completely within you know your your realm of rights to do so. Like they're not doing anything illegal. They're not doing anything. It's just horribly egregious. It's just you know dollars and cents. This is what makes yeah. this is what makes sense to do with this. Um, you know, it's not the environment where you'd want to be um, pricing out a bunch of uh, people of color and have them go move somewhere else. Right. It's Key a bad city. Yeah. Key city capital, bro. It says their website uh, motto is connecting capital to wealth. Yeah, Key well. City Capital, high yield returns without volatility, reliable passive. <laughs> I told you. So, so you're talking about that's what I'm. So, so you see it as a shitty thing if like if I live there and I just want to pay five twenty five a month, you know. But if you're like, listen, I pay you know eighteen hundred a month, and I'm trying to make some extra bread, and 
I've got, you know, tens of thousands of dollars tied up in this fund where they're guaranteeing me 8% returns a year because they're creating these price point, uh, price points and price targets, you know, for what they're giving back to their investors. And they're like, we've done the numbers. Real estate's really, really safe. We know we can sell these or rent these out for 900 a month. We'll be able to management, manage them, improve them, oversee the overhead comfortably and give an 8% return on people that gave us capital. You know what I mean? I guarantee it's, you know, it, it, that's, that's their responsibility. And, and there's a lot of those situations where it's not just about, you know, um, providing somebody with a place to live. Um, that machinery or apparatus, we take for granted that that's just going to be there. If, there. if there's not an incentive for somebody to make love, uh, make love, <laughs> make uh, money off of it, <laughs> then they're just going to be like, eh, you know, why? what's the point of, uh, and like I said, if if you just turned everything over, like when people say, you know, there's homeless people out in the streets, you know, why don't we just, and we have houses that people aren't living in. Like, it's a good idea, but there's more steps to that than that. You know what yeah. I mean? Who's responsible to upkeep? If somebody slips and falls on one of these properties, who's paying for it? You know what I mean? Is this person, we give a homeless person a house, are they going to have it insured? Like, are they going to do upkeep? Are they going to take care of it? Like there's there's a lot there's a lot more to it than just I show up and I pay my money and everybody that thinks that hey I showed up and paid my money this is what I'm entitled to for this amount you know somebody on the other end is like shit this is all I have to do to get it to you at this price point and for all my effort and work this is what I get to show for it it's not worth it to me so b- both of those needs have to reach some equilibrium. And it's tough when you give people the freedom to do that. But yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how you make that situation right without pissing somebody off. Right. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. I don't think there's any any right answer there because either way that you go, there's going to be a lot of people that disagree and probably will have a good reason for why they disagree on both sides. So, yeah, I guess that's a. um, Is it fair? To just is that metaphysics or reflect? Is that what that is? <laughs> is it I mean, fair to use that label here? It's the but it's the it's the inevitable conflict when you're trying to to do this in like under the Babylonian model. There's there's financial needs and pressures. There's you know you're in a developed area. You're not in the middle of the wilderness establishing value on your own. You're in a in a larger financial context. It's like I'm not obligated to give this to you at 525 a month to the end of time. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be interest involved that's going to want to own and maintain the property. And it has to be a price point that's comfortable for them, too, because it's not a charity. And if you wanted to flip it on some, okay, well, what's the right thing to do? I guarantee you there's a football player, there's a basketball player, there's a rapper who who may be morally outraged about this. They have the capital to go buy the, the whole co- complex. Go right. buy it. Take on the responsibility of potentially getting sued if anything happens, all the regulations, all the things you got to deal with to have that asset of property. And then you decide at your price point at five twenty-five a month for everybody there if it's worth it. Now look at the numbers at eight hundred a month. You know, and even if you want to say, okay, well I'll do it. I guarantee they wouldn't do it for five twenty-five. They'll be like, look, six fifty. Let's be reasonable <laughs> because it's just they're not yeah. going to want to take on. Like, why would you want to buy an asset that's losing you money just because 
you feel like, okay, that's morally the wrong thing. If it was truly morally the wrong thing, and it wasn't just a reality of what things cost, some some righteous moral crusader would buy it and leave it at that price point. But but I can right. almost guarantee right. you that anybody that owns it, the reality is is that 525 makes it a price point that's just not worth the risk of managing the asset. Because what happens too when there's a couple of vacancies? You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to be like, hey, everybody pitch in extra. Now nah, we agree to 525. Nobody's going to pay more than that. You know, right. or people that are late or miss, or you got to evict somebody. Like, there's all these other things, and we just like, nah, come on. We, you know, it's I don't know, man. I don't know. It, it, it. I, I would say, if, if anything is truly a moral outrage and not just a, a situation of, of just economic realities, some righteous do-gooder would put up the money to do it if it made sense. Yeah. So that's the fix under the capitalist model would be to buy it, take on the responsibility. Somebody who thinks it's morally wrong or whatever, they would have to buy it, take on all the financial and legal responsibility and either accept the loss just as a on the principle or figure out a way to make it better for everybody and show us like, you know, how you made that work, how you figured that out. You hire the people that live there to keep it clean and shit and, you know, certain shit. You could do some landscaping and get a few dollars off your rent. Like, how did you figure out how to make this thing profitable without keeping it as a loss or overcharging what you consider overcharging the people who live there and pricing them out of their homes and shit? I'd, I'd love to see somebody do that because I'd, I'd love to see it happen just on paper. I'd like to see somebody say, I bought this property seven, ten years ago and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that story be told. Because I'd be interested in how you go about doing that kind of shit. Because uh, other than that, there isn't there isn't a, a fix. There, there isn't a, another one that makes sense. So I definitely would like to see people uh, do that. Maybe we should tweet about it and tag some people. Yeah, see if somebody has money. Yeah, put your money where your mouth is and do it for sure. Right. Tag some rappers and see see how much this. Uh, this Texas company, if they even want to sell it, they'll be like, nah, son, we, we about to fuck everybody over. But I don't, yeah, like you said, I don't think they care that much. You give them a few percent on what they bought it for, they'll probably let that shit go. Right, because it's not just it's an operating loss, but now you're responsible for coming up with the money for improvements. So you're talking about a huge operating loss. Like, you're, you're basically at that point, everybody that lives there is now charity to this this rapper, this ball player, whoever, you know, or this other firm that wants to be a good doer firm. You know, that firm's not going to stay in business very long because it's not it's not dealing with the economic reality that that key capital is. Yeah. So they could come in there with good intentions. So it, it's always it is always going to be a failure from one aspect or the other. Cause if you if you let the state intervene, invariably what it can lead to is they're going to totally disregard the price point that they that they're going to they're going to do something that just it's never going to make financial sense. It will it will just be a constant drain and they'll take they'll they'll take on the risk and liability and operating loss that any sane businessman or individual would never do. The government would be like, "Yeah, cool. We lose, you know, 5 million on this every year, but it's taxpayer funded, so who gives a shit?" There's always going to be 5 million dollars <laughs> to tax from people. Um, I heard this dude sell stocks and cryptos, and when we caught up with him, he was like, okay, I was going to give it to you anyway. I just wasn't going to volunteer it. And we got it, and we can pay for it now. 
And so we're gonna we're but we'll always make sure this five million is here. So it'll do things that are just economically unsound because it has a it has an unrealistic uh, revenue source to maintain it. But no individual who's like, this is my money. I'm trying to grow it. Let me have an unending operating loss. So the government will run it into the ground because it's not going to manage it realistically. And something that's going to manage it, you know, realistically is unfortunately at some point going to have to be a little bit cutthroat about the touchy feely aspects of the situation and be like this is what we we have this is what we have to do to honor our fiduciary responsibility it is what it is it it yeah. it has it has to be done that way cuz somebody's going to have to put new roofs on eventually that's what i'm saying the only model that really works is if people do if if you had something that was communally owned and there was a carpenter there, and there was an electrician, and there was a plumber, and everybody is like, yo, we take on ownership of this, and part of that ownership is we're responsible of, then you could mitigate those operating losses. You know what right. I mean? And you could do things if everybody was taking responsibility for it, but in most instances, there's not a whole bunch of people who want to put forth that kind of energy. You right. know what I mean? Like, okay, well, shit, no, I just, I want to have a landlord that's responsible for fixing everything. Right. And then you, when when the situation switches or the tables turn, then it's like, oh, the landlords have too much power and blah, 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 because they take on all the responsibility. They take on all. There's no there's really no not much threat to a tenant other than if you don't pay your fucking rent. Right. Other than that, I mean, the landlords, yeah, they can. There's not a whole lot they can do as long as you're paying your rent. So I think even in most places, if something's fucked up and they're not fixing it and stuff like that you have a lot more uh legal recourse if you can prove that you paying your shit and he's not doing it and that the landlord's not doing their part you have more legal recourse than if you stop paying your rent and the landlord has to evict you right it'll be a lot harder for, him, for a landlord to really it takes a lot longer time versus he has a lot more to lose if you can prove he's not handling his business contractual obligations and all of that shit so yeah, if you take on all of that uh, risk and responsibility, then that kind of shifts the power dynamic in your favor. Just like if you invest in your own business with your own money, or if you take a loan from a bank or somebody else, they might have more say in what you can do with the money, what you can spend it on, how shit gets divvied up when you get your profits, all of that. But if you use your own money, you can pretty much do whatever the fuck you want. It's the right. same thing. And I think the other conversation right now is probably further away from anything that's attainable like the whole idea of you know should there be a thing considered private property and you know abolish rent and all that like that whole conversation i don't think that's a realistic conversation at this stage right now i mean there may be a world where that can happen but i don't see i don't see that being our next step only in a world where people are self-sufficient that's the right. only world where that can exist and because the way that they're talking about implementing that is giving the reins over to the Nazis. This is this is this is the only way that that comes into effect. Is I'm all for volunteer communism or volunteer socialism. People choose to live together, choose to put up their talents and resources, and there's you know people aren't manipulated or coaxed or threatened at gunpoint to do it, and people want to take ownership to be self-sufficient and run their little community and take care of it fine that's cool 
But when it's like you want to obligate the government to provide and take care of something, well, I don't want to take responsibility for the stability of this structure or the maintenance or replacing the roof or rewiring it, the plumbing. That's what I pay rent for. That's for you to figure out. So people want um, the government to take on that role. And it's like, okay, the government takes on that role and it mitigates that expense for you. So you don't see it in dollars, but what do you think? How, what, like, I don't see any point in history where the government's given that much power over people's lives and it's not going to immediately abuse it. You know, right. like, oh, I'm basically determined whether you eat, <laughs> whether you have a roof over your head. Um, you know, they already sending people door to door to make people take vaccines. You know, when, when you can't feed, clothe, or shelter yourself at all on your own, you're completely a house cat. You know, if, if the government was going to be benevolent, you know, great. But I just don't see it ever being manned by people that aren't just horrifically self-serving pieces of shit. They're going to use that, that position for their own interest and not the interest of the people they're supposed to serve. So you're entrusting that apparatus to manage it. And that just seems... That just seems super duper dangerous. But if you were going to take it in the context of it's not from the government, the government doesn't owe us, there's no say over it, no one's going to force us to do this at gunpoint, but we of our own volition are going to communally own it and take it. That's what I'm saying. The the cult model is the only righteous model. It, it, it seems so horrific and it's been so, its reputation has been besmirched incessantly um in our lifetimes and i'm sure before so it's just that the already already has a negative connotation but really that's it people deciding of their own volition that they want to serve one another and take care of each other and take care of their community and then all those problems get solved without um anybody coming in and trying to exploit the, the situation financially or leverage that that foothold into people's lives for some sort of inordinate power and influence over how they live, you know? So all the strings that come with having somebody else put that structure in place, I think I think any sensible person wants nothing to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, we need to figure out more people, more people need to apply themselves to building under this model without it ending in fucking poison suicides and right. pregnant, <laughs> fucking pregnant teenagers and shit right, right. <laughs> that needs to be fucking removed from the equation other than that there's a lot of power that comes out of these types of movements there's a lot of dope shit that people create and build but you know humans are humans and you know we got the whole power corrupts conversation and eventually it just seems to go left a lot of times and actually pretty early too if you really think about most of these instances, it should it should have went left early. You can see the signs real quick. But people, you know, I, I believe there's a key for every lock. You know, I think any cult situation that got itself built and whatever happened at the end of it, I mean, as tragic as we may see it from the outside looking in, it's people chose that shit, bro. They chose it. They heard somebody talking. Two people were walking down the street. They heard a guy standing outside preaching. One of them was like, get the fuck out of here and kept walking. And the other one was like, hey, no, this guy sounds interesting. That's like, that's a lifetime of psychology and neural pathways being created so that you could connect directly with this person's message. 
And when they say, all right, you got to leave your family and come live with me. There's people who were in that group when they heard leave your family and come live with me, they were like, nah, okay, this is where I get off. And other people, it's like when you pick in a lock, right? You pick the first one and then you get to the second level, you pick that one, some people leave. And then you get to the third one. It's like, all right, you're going to need to let me have sex with you and everyone you love. It's like, oh, well, okay, all right, I'm still on board. You know, that's not my business after that. So, so what if you gave those people the option? You say, okay, I'll tell you what, uh, we're not going to raise it 525. Matter of fact, you don't have to pay anything for rent, but this is how much labor you have to invest managing your own situation, getting your own water, getting your own power, getting your own food. So if you invest that much energy, you don't have any time for novelty. And that's what the trade-off is, is when you're interconnected with this and you have all of this extra free time because of all these conveniences that are made available to you, and they're made available to you expressly because you've agreed to basically be 100% dependent on all of these fragilely balanced conveniences that are made available to us. You, we all have a lot of time for distraction and novelty, and that's the trade-off, and that's why... You know, you don't just have Netflix. You don't just have Hulu. You don't just have Amazon Prime. You got to have the Disney Plus. You got to have you know, all of these things that are because people are just, you know, we, we have, we spend so little time and energy about our own life and survival. We've basically outsourced all those responsibilities to people that hate us. <laughs> it's like, could you make sure I can exist? Can you make sure all this infrastructure in the environment is going to sustain my future? And then all of these people that have got all the money are like, uh, we're going to figure out how to get to space. It doesn't really instill confidence. All of these dudes. Bezos has got Blue Origin. Branson's got Virgin Galactic. Tesla's got, uh, what, SpaceX. So why is it that all the richest people in the world that have made us super dependent to be nurtured by all of these conveniences so we're, we can't live without them, so it frees us up for more novelty so we can spend more money on products and services that, they, that they're offering to us. Why do all of them want to get to space? You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in me. So if you approach those people and say, okay, you're, you're getting rid of 90%, most people, that's, that's the end of the conversation for them. Like, what? I'm not going to have time for, like, my life is just going to be about being with my family and surviving? Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. No, no thanks. I got a lot of mindless novelty. I need, I need tchotchkes. I need distractions. I need that shit. And most of us, on principle, wouldn't want to forsake all of those luxuries and comfort. That's why it's the delicacies and decadence of Babylon. You can't just. Nobody wants to go to the Garden of Eden. Nobody wants to be out in the wilderness and have any kind of harmonious balance. With nature, I don't want to live in a hut. No, you want to live in all these conveniences and all of these electrical grids, grids and the fire comes through the tubes and magical lights shine up and, you know, distract you and entertain you. And most of us don't want to go back at all. And the more you live and grow within those kinds of conveniences, it's next to them. It's like crack, man. Yeah. You can't just be like, nah, I'll just... I'll go back. That's why I love that line from Bill Maher. He's like, yo, if we could fix every problem in the world right now and all we had to do was just get rid of remote controls and we had to change the channel by getting up and walking, he's like, we would all vote just to let the world burn. 
we'd be like, yeah. fuck it. I don't want to repair it. I don't want to repair and fix this shit and have sustainability and survive and have other people that don't have to starve and be miserable. I don't want to have to fix everything if it means I can't change the channel unless I get off my ass. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an honest assessment of where we're at. So, look, if that black camera shit was real, I mean, aside from all the ridiculous and hateful rhetoric, the idea of getting 200 acres and having sustainable living and people who are like, look, this society is sick. The way that our resources are exchanged and the way we relate to one another is creating an unhealthy balance. And we got all these conveniences, but we're doing it at basically the expense of self-destructing -dest everything, destroying our environment, destroying our ability to survive on Earth. It's, it's just stupid the way we're doing things. So we're going to cancel this out and we're going to live independent and we're going to have some some struggle and we're going to have lack of conveniences and entertainment but it's worth it because on principle this is more important any luxury i may do without i know in the reality those luxuries are just getting me to surrender my morality and my highest level of thinking so i can have that those momentary conveniences and i know on the back end all of the nastiness and destruction and the pain and misery that's the fallout. That's just like the nuclear runoff from all of these things that we have. And so, therefore, I'll make the sacrifice and, and live differently. You know, if they were really on it like that, I'd, you know, applause. Good good yeah. for you guys. Good Because there's not enough people with the will to do it or the resources to do it. You know, but, but people could do it. Shit, if people were really about it, this would be a great opportunity coming in. Yo, buy that whole place, buy it from the property management company, and everybody in there becomes a self-sustained community. Everybody works shit. The Amis are selling what? Uh, ovens and little log cabins and, and jellies and jams. <laughs> They're like, yo, we're going to have our shit completely separate. We're going to build it and take care of it all, and we'll find something that you Babylonians want. We'll sell you some jelly. We'll sell you some ovens. We'll sell you something. Yo, that that needs to be like the little experimental Amish village. Yeah, we could we could fucking learn a lot from them. It seems like because I, I don't feel like like I think we said this before because it sounds familiar. It doesn't seem like they're having a lot of the problems that larger communities are having, and even if they are having it, we don't hear about it. So that's a plus in and of itself because we don't get to judge it from the outside without knowing the full context of it. You know what I'm saying? So. Whatever they're doing, they, they definitely got a lot of it right because they seem to be chilling. Maybe they uh, got some stringent rules that a lot of people don't agree with, but at the very least, the communal aspect of how they live and keeping everything, accepting all their own responsibility, that is clearly the way that humans need to be moving because putting your life and safety and, uh, and your food resource, everything in the hands of people that ultimately none of us trust. <laughs> it's just not a good idea. It's not a good idea. I don't know who out there, when you really get down to it, just loves and trusts the government and think they're doing a great job. I don't think there's very, very many people who are aligned like that. People on both sides, they want to use it the way they think it should be used but they don't want them overstepping. They want them to attack their enemies and protect their friends. You know, it's, it's a necessary thing, but uh, I don't think anybody on either side fully completely trusts the government and think that they have our best interests at heart. So if you know all of that about the society that you live in, you have to make some attempt to become 
self-sustainable, at least start learning. I don't mean, you know, go collect 10,000 rounds of ammo and, you know, fucking bug out that way. But at, at the very least, you should be looking towards living in a place that are closer to people that you think uh, align with your thought processes and how your fan like all of that shit is important right now. We can't afford to be living next to strangers who you think might be peeking out the window at you. And don't they have a hotline now for people who you think may become radicalized and shit mm-hmm. like that? <laughs> they, you they can got turn their... anonymously. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. So you could be like, yo, my neighbor's got a fucking flag in his front yard and he's got this sign that says some funny style mm-hmm. shit. And I, I, I'm afraid. I think he might do something. And there, there might be some people that actually come look into that, knock on homie's door and shit. So if you know this is where it's going, instead of complaining and saying that they're overreaching because you know i don't know if you're overreaching if you're getting people to snitch on each other you know if there's something just intrinsically uh as far as i'm concerned i think there's a a poetry about that shit that you can't really remove from the equation if people are telling them themselves if you can convince uh, a group of people or a community of people to start outing each other and pointing the finger at who's the one that should get taken or or fucking locked up or anything like that I don't really care what the motivation was there's not a whole lot you can say because that community of people should have an understanding and know a little bit more about each other and be able to recognize when they're being manipulated it don't take long it don't take long you can see that work if you're in a workplace and you think somebody playing you against somebody else it's so easy to spot that shit you only spend a few hours a day with these people so the people that you live next to and you got in where your kids play and fucking, you should, yeah, they shouldn't be able to have y'all turn on each other like that. Yeah, I think I think the whole um, biblical metaphor is there's always national apocalypse. There's If you talk to somebody that came out of Bosnia, like when they were having their civil war and stuff, and they came to America and started a new life, as far as they were concerned, that was the end of their civilization. You know what I'm saying? There's genocide, shit ain't happening, you know, basic services. You know, you think in the middle of a civil war, you know, there's not going to be power outages and scarcity or resources and misery. Like, life as you know it ceases to be. And I think that's always the warning is like, look, all of these these trade-offs that you make to live this more sophisticated, synthetic style of existence— it eventually becomes so top-heavy that it, it, it topples over. And people talk, you know, New York City is like the city of the whole world. Like, it's, it's just the pinnacle of this is what it looks like when human beings become so sophisticated and so organized. Look how efficient we can be and look how tall these buildings are. There's rats everywhere. There's rats everywhere. There's social dysfunction everywhere. There's it, the smells, bed bugs. I mean, bubonic plague or whatever that they found in California. Yeah, and it it happened in Europe for the same reasons. You got too many people leaving too close together. Now, when you talk about a more laid-back natural existence, people having a few acres in between them, diseases ain't popping up like that. Rats and rodents and critters and all that stuff comes with all of these things we put together and eventually become so top-heavy that it can't be sustained. And that's always the goal. How do we organize human beings so that they all will labor, they all invest their energy, and we can concoct this really synthetic form of life that gives everybody all this free time, but it's super, super top-heavy. One EMP, 
one failure in the, the power grid, one this or one that happens, and all of the supply lines cut off, the ability to get food cut off. And invariably, every group of people that have ever tried to do it, they come to a point where it falls apart. And as far as they're concerned, that's their... When the Visigoths got through, I'm sure everybody in Rome was like, oh, that's it. Apocalypse. They're raping all the women. They're burning everything down. This is the end of life as we know it. Yeah, it is. It is. It's the end of your civilization. Your team got a flag, got a, got a, a fight song, got a uniform, got, got a team color, team melody, whatever. You got all that shit together. You had a great run of a couple hundred years. You got fat. You got top-heavy. People within the power structure started plotting and scheming against each other. You know what I mean? Like it's just inevitable that when we create this kind of existence, it's it's gonna fall apart. But in every incarnation and in every group of people that's ever in the midst of it, you believe like everybody before you, nah, it's never gonna fall. You'll never sink this ship. I defy God to sink this ship. <laughs> I defy you. Yeah. And eventually the ship gets and 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 I think the Amish they just get that the Midnights or all those people they're just like look I'm in it but I'm not of it I know what you guys are building I know that it's destined to to fail it's eventually going to produce authoritarianism or totalitarianism whether because of economics or political power you guys are going to do unsensible idiotic things in your pursuit of money your pursuit of power. And you're eventually going to fuck it all up. We know you're going to fuck it up. So we're going to build our houses and grow our food over here. If you want to buy some stoves, we'll sell you some wooden stoves. However, we could be of service. We need a little bit of your pictures of your leaders so that we can function within your society. But we're going to be as least dependent on it as possible. Anybody that has any real social um, beef with the status quo that isn't moving more and more in that direction, I got to say that you're, you're kind of sort of full of, sh- full, full of shit or you just haven't figured out how ineffectual every single idea that you have is going to be. The, 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 the Amish got it all figured out. They got the whole thing figured out. I know how this story ends. I know how Babylon falls. You're destined to keep repeating yourself. We just kind of see through the, through the, um, uh, see through the cycle. And we're just like, nah, we're, we're good. We're going to kind of just be watchers. We're going to be out here on the peripheral. They stepped out of the loop. Yeah, exactly. They just stepped out of the loop. They were just like, you know what? We're going to go over here. And then everybody's over on the other side building and destroying themselves over and over and over and over with the same bullshit. And they're just like, and, and we're looking over at them like, yeah, they're weird. They're weird. They live in a whole community with their own family and friends. That's crazy. Right. And at no <laughs> point did they ever said Zedekiah, yes, Ezekiel, we're over fishing the shrimperies. Right. We're running out of shrimp and we've destroyed the ecosystem in the pond. Are you sure, Jebediah? Oh, my bad. No, we didn't do that. That's the other lake with the rest of those people. Like the they're living in a way where the couple of hundred of them or the couple thousand of them, they're never going to overrun their their resources they're not living in a way that demands so much extra that they're they're destining themselves for collapse like do we still have bees ezekiel yes we have bees the bees are pollinating well why aren't the rest of the bees pollinating? because you're poisoning everything 
We don't have cell yeah. phone waves burning all the bees' brains, and they can't find where they're supposed to go. Yeah, we don't have all this extra. But 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 how do I? What if I want to tell Jebediah just something this instance? Then walk to his fucking house. We don't want to destroy <laughs> the bees so that we can send little messages through satellites and wires. And but it's so convenient. It's so convenient. They're they're just not creating those problems for each other. And it's cool to have all these witty inventions and all this slick shit and all this magic. Ooh, look what we can do. But it's it's not sustainable. And now the the biggest conversations they're having is, um, I think we fucked up and we need to totally, like, stop flying, stop eating cows. Nobody can own anything. Like, they're, they're pushing towards going to such an extreme, like, austerity kind of thing and people having next to nothing and you know they're still gonna have private jets but you can never get on a plane again yeah because because they figured out that like okay we sold everybody on this idea of unlimited decadence for everybody yeah we were kind of lying we could realistically we could only have unlimited decadence for a couple of us and then pretty much everybody else is gonna be eating cicadas living in a little box owning nothing and what did they say at the Davos thing is like you'll own nothing and love it and and now culturally everybody's being prepared for that so yo if your model for the whole world Babylon is um, mouse utopia uh, on a global level no (laughs) no (laughs) no that sounds horrible that sounds horrible horrible yeah, that's just next level crazy. You'll own nothing and be happy. You no, not just be happy, but they, I think they said you'll love it. You'll own maybe it was you'll be happy. I don't know. But still, it's like what are you even trying to that sounds like a threat. <laughs> it, <does. laughs> it sounds like it sounds like you're gonna take everything from me and lobotomize me. Yeah. That's that kind of sounds like where you're going with that. Maybe I'm jaded. But you'll own nothing and be happy. Sounds like I'm going to rob you and lobotomize you. You you (laughs) won't even know I took everything. I do think that there is a large swath of the population that's kind of been indoctrinated and cultured in that direction, and they are comfortable with it. I think there there is, and and that's fine. If you're comfortable with it, go go right along with it. Yeah, yeah, I think they should go. They should volunteer and do it and show the rest of us how easy it is. And the problem is that's not what's going to happen. Well, right. I just, (laughs) I want the freedom to be maintained and and irrevocably so that that people can choose to set something else up. And even if it means that they're not going to have any assistance, that's fine. We'll get our own well water. Um, we'll have some fat kids ride exercise bikes all day to generate power. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And that, and I just think people would have the, you know, the freedom to create their own sustainable, uh, sustainable communities that are centered around a different set of priorities. You know, whenever, I guess this is, this is the Rubicon that hasn't been crossed just yet. And when it does, then I guess maybe all the panicking is completely valid and we, we can all panic together. When when they start cracking down on the Amish, when the Amish aren't allowed to sell their jelly, that yeah, that's when I think yeah. the rest of us should start bugging out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so okay, so I'm thinking about this. You'll own nothing and, and you'll be happy, right? So best case scenario, <laughs> total utopian best case scenario. 
I could see, uh, say you you have some type of uh, condos, you know, pod community, you know, dope houses, and everything people need is in walking distance. They have all the stuff that they need. They have access to food and everything is there for them, right? So you wouldn't necessarily need to own like travel stuff, like especially if it was a intentional community who was doing it. They wouldn't need cars and shit like that, right? Like maybe they'll have like a community bus that they travel in sometimes, but they wouldn't really need a car. Say you wouldn't need to own your property because it's, you know, the people who live there, they just switch whenever they want. Like every few months, they'd be like, hey, I was looking at your house. I think I like it. I want to live here for a while. They'd be like, all right, I'll find another house somewhere else for a little while. So you wouldn't need to own your house. Like, I'm sure this is a, a way that people could paint it to be completely acceptable in a good way. But this more likely would be like people trying to create laws to stop you from owning shit <laughs> and, and right. stop, you stop you from complaining about it, too. So this doesn't seem like it's going to be an intentional community of uh, people who are experimenting on new ways of living. They're just like, no, this is the world you're going to have to exist in. So get prepared for it. Right. And, and that's where I'm at is I'm not saying necessarily that some of the things that are being proposed aren't good ideas or aren't at least taking us down the pathway of where we need to go. We do need to recognize the imbalance in nature and overconsumption and, you know, doing really asinine things that aren't, aren't energy efficient, but they serve the market. And we have such a, you know, sophisticated system set up that, you know, I, I love that example you sent me of the fucking peaches, you know, grown <laughs> on one continent, shipped and packaged in another continent and then shipped and sold in a third different continent you know and 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 this is just for a fucking little can of peaches that just seems like a a, a ridiculous and silly waste of we're just showing off like look how needless like you could sit in you could walk to your car and get in or you could do a backflip a cartwheel (laughs) and then slide into your car through the window like you could but you could just walk so it just seems like some unnecessary steps to just kind of show off of what we're capable of. So I get the impulse to say, okay, we need to slow down. We need to rethink the way that we're doing it. It, it We just shouldn't be entrusting the the setting of that agenda to the people that we're advocating should run it. I, I do right. think people should start of their own volition, pulling themselves in that direction and thinking of these things and solving these problems within their communities on a smaller scale that smart but just to give the government authoritarian control to dictate how the like that movie's played too many times it's too many times like i think i think it was ukraine like why they hate russia to this day like fuck you guys like because i think like at one point they just like used them to feed everybody else and they starved them i could be getting it wrong but i'm, I'm pretty sure like ukraine at one point was just like all right, we're, we're, we're basically going to use you to feed everybody else. And, you know, we need your resources, but we're pretty much going to leave all you guys desolate because we're going to manage the resources. Yeah, like so, you said, too many times. It's the same thing yeah. every time. It's the same thing every time. Nothing's going to switch. And so if if the government gets involved with deciding how people are supposed to be doing it, you know which direction it's going in. And even right. we know the danger that comes from, you know, intentional communities that misplace their values and shit like that and start, you know, thinking that the person 
who brought it all together is a reincarnate God or something like that, which I'm not against. We must give him our wives. Which I'm not against. I'm saying, yeah, if a guy, listen, if you're married, right, and there's a guy out here who has such good game that he can convince you that it's in in the world's best interest that he sleep with your wife and you agree, I'm out of that equation. Like, I don't have anything to say about it. I'll keep my opinion to myself. I don't even think I have an I'm not going to be joining that community. I see no, not me I personally. see bad things in the future. And everything may be running okay now, but there's there there there's there's a day of reckoning somewhere down the line. Somebody's <laughs> walking in to one of the services and putting 3 in the center mass yeah. at one point and then everybody's going to be fighting for leadership. Right. There's there's a day of reckoning for that. That one's just not going to have a happy ending. So if you're trying to figure out how to solve all the energy needs of that community, and maybe your wife is not happens to be sleeping with the reincarnation of God, you may want to look for a different cult to get involved in, just because it's there's a sad ending coming. There's a very bad ending in the future. Right, and I'm open to be proved wrong, but so yeah. far, statistically, if it has something to do with the leader of the cult banging your wife, it usually doesn't end well. Yeah. That's a that's a major red flag in cult life. <laughs> a yeah. major major red flag. Because it was I I think David Koresh was like, yeah, I need your wives. Everybody's like, all right, we need your wives. And then a couple months in, all right, now your daughters. And then the FBI well, yeah. was like, well, all right, all uh, right, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, that's enough. We got to get involved now. Yeah. You know, yeah, she's fourteen, but we're married. Oh, okay. But- Okay. No, it's legal. It's not some, you know, sleazy. No, no, no. We're married. Right. Oh, gotcha. So, gotcha. so basically, you're going to sleep with a bunch of 14-year-olds, but you're married to each one of them because these are the bylaws of this cult compound that you made. Exactly. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, Come if you us. did this in any other context, right, like let's say there wasn't any marriage involved. What about the guy that just sleeps with 10, 14-year-olds? Well, he's a criminal. Oh, he's going to jail. Did, did he start his compound and marry each and every one of them? That guy is a piece of shit. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I've married these women. Women, no, 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 they're 14-year-old girls. I'm sorry. I've got them all pregnant. They're not they're girls. Women. They're, they're women. women. If they were, Can you get a puppy pregnant? No, you cannot. It's a puppy or it's a dog. Humans are the same things, okay? You're either a kid... <laughs> Or you can crank out a baby. <laughs> so, good day, sir. You get nothing. Leave. Wait, hey, no, you can't just walk out like that. What are you doing? No, no, no. no. We have to. <laughs> you have to speak to the federal oh, agent, sir. Shit. Yo, David Koresh had the men and the women sleep on separate floors in his uh, compound just so nobody would get any randy thoughts. You know, you keep yourself yeah. under control. And he put his bedroom on the women's floor. He he wasn't even playing no games at all. Yes, men, you sleep downstairs. I'll sleep upstairs with the ladies. But but you you want to know what really makes it fucked up? Because if you really have you really thought about this, he was going to segregate them, right? Wouldn't it make more sense to have him and the women downstairs? So all of these dudes are being deprived from their wives, and you hear the banging on the ceiling <laughs> all night long. That's some extra douchebag oh, dickery. Wow. 
I didn't even think about that aspect. He probably did that on purpose. Oh, yeah, and they made this shit themselves, so you know it was a creaky-ass house. <laughs> you know, it was, so all you hear is the floorboards getting fucked up every night, and you don't know if it's your wife or not. Oh, no, you, you, know, you, know, you know the floorboards you know? are always creaking, but you don't know if yours is in there or not. You know why you do know? Is he made sure every guy was sleeping directly beneath his own wife. Oh, <laughs> shit, snap, snizzle. That's fucked up. Uh, so every time she walked out of the room, you wake up and you're like, fuck. God, yeah, that's, I, I can't imagine it, man. I can't and imagine And they're all hanging out together like, hey, guys, all of yeah. our wives are up there being banged in. And we get to sleep down here together and hang out and listen to it together. Isn't that awesome, Ted? That's awesome, Franklin. Okay. Think about being in a room full of other guys who also gave their wife to the same Right. What do you talk about it? Because there's no testosterone in the room. What do you, you you think they're just all baking together? Like they're just, they've, they've, they've just kind of gone into their happy place. Like they're all either making model airplanes or sharing like baking recipes, like there's something there's else something. that they just got to be completely invested in 24 hours a day. Because yeah. there's no conversation. Like, they couldn't get around and talk about football. They couldn't. You could be, yeah, you know, he fucked him up on that one. Yeah, yeah. There's any kind of talking about scoring and penetration and defense and how you need to protect the zone. You know what I'm saying? You need to protect your end zone. It's just all of these metaphors and analogies, all that. You're 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 in. You'd be talking about something where you've been totally defeated and you've lost. You you've been cucked. You you you've been completely cucked and emasculated. And you're you're a conquered person. You're a conquered person. So anything anything <laughs> if you watching some sort of sports analogy of conquering would make you. That's what I'm saying. They couldn't even talk about that. Anything remotely competitive would would eat away at them. So they, they'd have to be totally losing themselves in just really frivolous hobbies. Yeah. It's the only way they could have made it. You got to learn it, how to put ships inside bottles now. That's <laughs> I hear that ceiling creaking. I start concentrating <laughs> on getting this ship in the bottle, and I can't. It's all tuned out. They all got earmuffs. They all, they're all living in. It's all. It's complete denial. It's hard. It, that movie needed to touch more on that. What were these dudes doing throughout? Right. There was not enough scenes of them waking up in the middle of the night to the creaking floor, and and how do they cope with it? What were they into? That's the real story in that movie. Yeah, that's where psychopaths are born. <laughs> that right there is that's that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare. It's not even some somebody really lived through that. Right. This is what I'm saying. The FBI that's didn't even get involved in tear bro. gas. Somebody was eventually going to murder him in front of everybody. Oh, 100%. Somebody was coming into the sermon with an axe for, or one of the rifles or something. He was definitely going to get murdered. But at least one of those guys had some latent testosterone somewhere deep down in their, in their junk DNA that got, got unlocked after too many creaky floor nights. And somebody was going to kill that guy, 100%. Unless... Uh, Unless his game was just so good <laughs> that all of these guys were going to give their wives away anyway. That just had to be their timeline. That's just what they were always going to do. If they never met David Koresh, they'd be doing some other freaky okay. shit at a swingers yep. club or something like that. Like, they, these guys were always going to give their wives away. 
so you have that or somebody was going to kill him. Right. <laughs> Those are the only two ways that go. Right. Somebody's going to kill him. Somebody right. was not that their destiny was that was not that and they got talked into it. And there was a day that they came to their senses and they bludgeoned him to death yeah. in front of everybody. Yeah. And nobody tried to stop him. No, no but everybody kind of just understood when he wrapped the first guitar string around his throat. Everybody, like, oh, we're gonna, we got to let Lyle do what he's gonna do. Come on, guys, ease up. Yeah, this was yeah, a no, long. Who's time breaking coming. up that? Who's breaking up that assault? Which man in that congregation gets up to stop the guy from bashing in David Koresh's skull? I think once you have the first guy start enacting violence, there's gonna be a couple of other guys that find their nerve. You think I, so? think, I, I think by the end of it, there's 17 dudes just stomping <laughs> them out. 17 docile dudes throwing their 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 pathetic little, you know, tiny, you know, soy boy kicks. But they're landing. They're landing some. You know, they're, they're not just going to sit by idly and watch the violence commence. They're going to, even if it's ineffectual, they're going to throw some blows in there. They're going to be a part of his bludgeoning. Absolutely. They've all endured a collective trauma together. The moment they see somebody overcoming it, the 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 spell is broken immediately for everybody else there. The 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 first person that sees an eye fly out of his socket after his skull is crushed against the floor. People are getting up. The animal instincts are kicking in. I can't believe that they wouldn't. Right. And then and then they'd all have sex with their own wives that night. Yep. Yeah. That would be the culmination of the evening. I don't think anybody, none of the women are going to call the cops. You just, you just deal with it, right? And then you, if your husband helped, only if he helped. If he didn't help, he don't get none. Mm-mm. But if he, if he helped kill the beast, then you got you to gotta cut him a slice that night. That's horrible, bro. Well, I guess, it, you know, that's probably a better ending than what actually happened. Oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> you, no, you got to take that qualifier off. It's not just, probably just, better. Listen, it's absolutely saying, better. I was just trying to leave some room for error there. I don't, no, 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 like no. That would be, that'd be a better ending. Somebody <laughs> do, still gets bludgeoned to death and stomped into the floorboards. Definitely, that's horrible. That's a terrible way to go. But probably it's better. It's the least terrible outcome for that whole scenario. Because the the horrific thing about this shit, when I saw that it was the people's kids in there that got killed too, and how needless right. it was that they that they that they created that whole standoff, it's like, look, I'm not okaying what Timothy McVeigh did. What Timothy McVeigh did was was horrific, was horrible, killed a whole bunch of innocent people. But I understand him being so upset about about something like that. Because if I'm not mistaken, that was one of the things he cited. Because I remember Rachel uh, Maddow did an interview with him. I could be, I could be wrong. I could be, or I've released the tapes. And this was a dude that was like really, really upset with the government intruding into things and you know being um, aggressive. You know, and that's one of those things. Like, damn, you just murdered how many? Like, fuck the dudes. The dudes were already dead inside. But the women and children, like the children is what really fucks with me. Like, uh, like all of them kids died and didn't need to die. And like, yeah, their parents made some really shitty decisions, but they're just kids. You know what I mean? Like the fact that there was kids in there, like you guys shouldn't have done anything to instigate anything. You shouldn't have fired not one shot. 
Like, they have to come out. You know what right. I'm saying? They, they can't just stay in there. There's not enough supplies for them to be in. At some point, they have to come out. Why the fuck are you firing into that place? Yeah, that shit was all terrible. The whole thing, top to bottom, shit didn't have to happen. They were trying to no. prove a point. Like, yeah, none of that shit had to happen. So David Koresh being bludgeoned to death to the point that his eyeballs pop out of his skull are infinitely better. You're always so on point. That's just that's the one I have to I have to vehemently dispute that it's in dispute. <laughs> it can't be. Crushing his skull and his skull alone is the happiest ending to that situation. Yeah, that's true. That's like uh, if if Quentin Tarantino made a movie about it, he could make it in like that. Because since he don't give a shit, but yeah, that would be a oh yes, because he I would did like that imagine um. Right, the Sharon the, uh, Tate, shit. Tate murder, yeah, 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 which I think a lot of people liked because we knew the story, right. and I think um, I imagine people who were watching the movie and were like really plugged into it and enjoying it probably felt you know a sense of dread once it got to that part of the movie. So the only thing I know of that I could call back to that I felt personally was when I went to see Malcolm X. I saw it in the movie theater when I was young. And uh, it was a wild movie theater. I think I said this before, but it was a wild movie theater. And this was the only time I had ever experienced it be super quiet. Everybody was chilling. Nobody was making noise. None of that shit. Just watching the movie. And it was it was a good movie. So, But when it gets to that part where, you know, Sam Cooke starts playing and shit, yeah. you're just like, you get that feeling. You're like, fuck, I know what's about to happen. So I feel like people who would have watched that movie and known anything about that would probably felt something similar thinking what they were about to witness so to see that shit reshaped into something else where they kick everybody's ass and beat the shit out of these killers like uh, that's you know that's cathartic a little bit i think yeah yeah so so that would be that would be dope to make a david koresh movie and just kind of go in on the psychosis that could build and a guy who just wasn't built to let his (laughs) just have his wife be banged (laughs) by another dude long term it's not it's not it's just not in him. He oh, thought it was, but he couldn't take it. And he just starts to break slowly. And then one day he just starts to murder him. And that's the the, the big twist. Because there's no twist. He's just going to kill David Koresh, right? But the big twist is that as soon as he starts beating him to death, all the other guys start helping beat him to death, too. <laughs> that's the twist. It wasn't just him going crazy. They were all fucking losing it. Except one or two. You know, one or two of the worst slugs in the fucking room. They're just like, why are you killing him? <laughs> it's got to be a couple of those. Just for good measure. We would tell that story completely different. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different kind of movie. It would even be branded like you'd call it like David and Larry. And it sounds like a like a buddy comedy or something. And it's just and it almost kinda like think about a dark think about like the vibe of observe and report. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a just a really dark, fucked up comedy. And and they're like they tease each other and like David's being a dick to him the whole time like I boned your girl last night like the squeaking on the floor like just to show like and make it almost like Will Ferrell level <laughs> of like silliness and comedic yeah. shit until that very end scene where he just violently murders David you yeah. know but but you make it more about instead of like him and being the cult leader leader and his crazy shit just the 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 horrific lifestyle <laughs> of the men <laughs> and they're baking together they have these coping mechanisms they hear this squeaking in the floor like you tell the david caress story 
in like a Will Ferrell observing report dark comedy kind of way, and you change the ending a la Tarantino, a historical event you're familiar with, but it has a totally different ending. That's amazing. Just adding the the, the little piece to the folklore that uh, David assigned the bedroom so every the wife oh, would be yes. right above the husband. Brilliant. Like, <laughs> Another that's, home run. Good that, job. That's worth it. <laughs> Just having that extra piece of information information makes it worth creating a whole new movie about it. Like he did this on purpose. He wanted you to go crazy. Yeah, that that that's awesome. I love it. I really would watch that movie. Oh, a TV show. We gotta think. You gotta think long term too. We can get back in four <laughs> seasons. You get four seasons out of that shit, bro. Easy. Yeah, because the season finale is the season finale. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the series finale is no no reboots. You're done. So yeah, the the movie or like a, a mini series type thing where you know the show's only gonna run for two or three seasons. Yeah, you get just, to that it moment. It just ends with dead David Koresh, and whoever struck the first blow is just like you got the juice now, B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got the juice, bro. And then it, of course it ends with him sleeping on the women's floor. Right, Larry, that was great, man. You want to sleep with my wife? No, guys, this is the whole thing we're trying to break out of. Don't well, let actually, with anybody's wife anymore. Wait, who's your wife again? <laughs> wait, wait, let me check. Let me double check. Make sure. <laughs> yeah, that's the easy way to get yourself killed. It's amazing that he that he survived it. That just goes to show, bro. I mean, when you got good game, you just got good game, bro. Because that that's the, and as far as I'm concerned, that's the ultimate game. I think you need more game to bang a guy's wife than you do to make people drink poison Kool Aid. Or just kill themselves in general. Yeah. I think getting people to yeah. drink, we going to heaven. Heaven's gate, you got to carry 375 and quarters in your pocket to pay the fucking galactic bridge toll and shit. And you got to wear this kind of sneakers and we're going to cover ourselves with purple cloths and we're just going to die. If you find people who are depressed enough, I think you get, and already suicidal, I think you can get them to kill themselves together in a, in a you know, event, a planned event or some shit like that. I don't think you got to be, I mean, you got to be pretty sinister. But I don't think you got to be a mastermind. I think you got to be a mastermind to fuck 30 guys' wives right above them. And you know what? It's almost like he's become the standard bearer. Like, right. You, right. You're right. Like, you, if you, you need, you don't have to sleep with everybody's wives, but you need David Koresh <laughs> level of loyalty. <laughs> that's, the, that's the level of commitment. Yeah, and he's not the only one who's done it, but he's the one who's most well known for it you know what i'm saying and uh I, I, hey. wait a minute he's not the only one that took on the burden of sex oh oh this no is, this has been this has been pitched before oh it's been pitched oh, before wow. and successful a few times okay now we're not talking about dudes with harems and we're talking about a community that comes together and all of the men within this community say no no no, no you have her Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah, I thought he was unique in that. Okay, so there was a, let's see, Family International, the Family International, right? It was a group of these these cult guys. This was uh, in 1968 in California. They called themselves the Children of God and a whole bunch of other stuff, but these people had a leader who was doing the exact same thing, wives and daughters, and they were just handing him over, sending him to his room. He was having mad babies. He was sending women out into the world 
to get more uh, recruits. And he had a process he called flirty fishing. Yeah, yeah. Flirty fishing, right? So this guy would send out sexy chicks from his ministry and they would bring back other women and their husbands and he would have access to everybody and they was getting busy, bro. But weren't they having some orgies though too? Yeah, yeah. okay, so burden of sex. I see what you mean. Like he was the only one. Right, Dang, right, right, okay. right. Because because right. I remember hearing about that, and I think uh, Winona White, Winona Ryder, and um, River Phoenix's parents were in that cult. Right, I, I think so. That sounds familiar. Yeah, they they come out of yeah that was that was some crazy shit. Yeah, they called themselves the Children of God, and um, yeah, I think there was a documentary on it. That's I, amazing. I yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw one. one. Yeah. So yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He was still an amateur, I guess, because he just had everybody banging each other. But uh, David Koresh definitely. He that's the final form right there. Right. That's, the- <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You you're right. Like that's the you like if you if you could say yep, get the 375 wrapped in purple cloth, wear this hoodie, wear these kind of sneakers. We're all killing ourselves, drinking the Kool Aid at exactly 5 p.m. because the spaceship's coming. I think you get people that want to escape so bad that yes, you could get them to kill themselves in a, in a, just a ridiculous ritualistic fashion. But as impressive as that is, it's nothing compared to oh no no, you're not killing yourself. You're going to have a living hell. You're <laughs> going to be alive and wish yeah. you were dead, but death's not going to come. You're just going to be miserable and humiliated every day and you're going to agree to it. You're going to agree to it. That is the ultimate. That is that is the ultimate mind control. That that's yeah. the yeah, yeah. That's the zenith. I can't think of because yeah, if, with the other dude that I know, he got most of them. But there was still some other or you know there was some orgy orgiastic activity right. going Everybody on. Everybody was having fun. Right, right, right. But when you're in a place where you're the literally only person having, you're the only dude having sex. All the women are having sex. You're the only dude that's having sex, and there's. 200 people on the compound. <laughs> you know that's, pain, that's, that's painful, bro. That is the that's most painful. fucked up. I and will people accept that, the burden of sex for all of us. But, dude, people are still going to the grocery store. They're still doing their chores. They're still contributing. They're working their jobs and paying money. Into, like, p- these dudes are coming back, giving their time, labor, energy, and their wives to make this whole thing go. And you just hang out fucking everybody's wives. For I don't know how many did he do this for years? Yeah, I don't know how time. long he got this thing going. He did it for a long time. I don't think they even let me see. Uh, it was until oh, good lord! So it was in the 90s or something when shit went bad. I'm pretty sure it was like late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, so uh, it started happening between 82 and 94. Wow, so they started in 68. Shit got rocky around 82. <laughs> so I was getting busy, bro. Some was getting busy. He had a good 20 years in there before anything went wrong. Jeez. Bro, Jeez. okay. I, listen, Jeez. it's all business. It's all business. None of them, I mean, you know, there was, of course, what brought him down as it should is, you know, uh, underage shit. It always happens. These these women bring their kids. These couples bring their children. And you got a freaking 12-year-old daughter. You're lucky if she makes it to 15 before he starts eyeing her up. 
because they, everybody's getting busy. So why wouldn't he be weird in that manner too? They all they usually are. I can't think of anybody who was the leader of a sex cult and was like, "Well, wait till she's 18." That don't right, right, right. we don't want to do anything untoward. <laughs> right. So um, that's just a given. That's that's gonna happen. It's madness, bro. But they were all loving it. They loved the camaraderie. They loved the family, bro. Even with the religious, they loved it. They loved it. We get to read the Bible and have orgies. What else could you possibly want? So yeah. Know. Just you can do it like that. I, just, I just want to have my bedroom on the second floor, please. Just look. Please don't put me first keep floor. everything as is, David. Please, <laughs> just move you and all of our wives to the first floor. We'll take the stairs. It's fine. Oh gosh, dude, that's some hardcore shit. So, uh, David and Larry is the sitcom that we that's going to. <laughs> <laughs> We pictured David and Larry as a dark comedy, as a dark comedy to Netflix. <laughs> the one guy who wasn't really built for this cuck life. Oh, like, dude. I thought I was going to be okay with cuck life, but I've been looking at that sledgehammer and I'm starting to feel different. Dude, we got to reach out to Jody Hill, the dude that did Eastbound and Down. He needs to be in charge. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be the creative direction of David and Larry. It's already bad because you said eastbound and down. Bro, listen, should is that the guy who should play David Koresh? Should David, <laughs> David Koresh? <laughs> I gotta take on the burden of sex. <laughs> yo, that would I'm not be, fucking that, around. Man. God means business. Yo, yo, if David Bryan is David Koresh. He definitely gets killed at the end. That's 100. He's getting murdered, bro. He's getting murdered. Yo, this. I, I think this is a good show. <laughs> Listen up, pussies. <laughs> God wants me to bang your wives. You're clean. I can see him. Corrupted and not ready. When they're in the chow hall, bro, he's, he's, he's standing behind your wife doing hun, humping motions and shit. <laughs> in the chow hall. <laughs> Talks everybody. He talks everybody. Like doing it behind their back, pantomiming, pantomiming, just begging the shit out of her. Oh shit. Oh yes, dude. Danny McBride as David Koresh. Oh god. <laughs> now, now all we see is the guy who goes nuts and kills him. And I can see his face, but I can't think of his name right oh, now. Oh, dude, it's the guy on Eastbound and Down, Stevie, the guy that was following him around. Come on, Kenny. Like <laughs> oh, a really nerdy guy. Back in together. Keep sleeping with my wife, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> he just loses oh, it at the end. Gosh, dude. Yeah. Somewhere... You, you know who else could do it? Was um, I don't know if you ever saw Vice Principals, the second show they did like that, in that same vein. But there was a guy. Did you see the um the Almighty Gemstones? Oh, I, I know. He's, I see his picture now. Yeah, he he's exactly the guy. Those two together in that role uh, is is fucking perfect, bro. As a dark comedy and him slowly losing his sanity as the series goes on, bro. This is that's a million dollar idea. That's a million dollar idea. Oh, dude. Oh, dude. And another part of it is he wants to be like he's fucking all these women, but he can't. 
like he has erectile dysfunction most of the time. So a lot of time the squeaking is just him like making them jump on the bed, but he can't even <laughs> get it up for them most of the time because it's just too many women, but he still wants them to at least think it. So they, so they see him as like great and virile, but he's a total, there's, there's so many things you could interweave right. in and he, or, yeah. or that he thinks in his own mind that this will make the men mentally stronger. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to actually bang any of their wives, but if they can get through this, they can get through anything or just some weird ass quirk that he has that he's not actually banging them. Nah, that would, he, that, yeah. Or that would he's make He's got to have sexual dysfunction. It's got to be the way, cause he's a dick. It doesn't yeah. work if he's just not a complete asshole. So anything where he's trying to help them, nah, he, he just wants he them to, at the end. right. He wants, he wants them to at least think it cause he doesn't want to be seen as weak. Like, no, I can fuck all of your wives every single night. And really, he can't. He can't. He, nobody's dick works that much. But he wants to give the illusion of it. I love it. I think it's beautiful. Oh, dude. I now I really want to fucking see that show with Danny McBride. <laughs> yeah, we just needs to, this needs to go to, we just need to clip this out and send it to Netflix. And just be like, just do the right thing after you cast it. Send us a nice check and uh, the world will be a better place. That's amazing, bro. Cause, cause that whole comedy troupe, cause it's the same dudes working in every um, every <laughs> series that they do. Um, the next one, cause they've been looking for like the new, you know, since Eastbound and Down, they haven't found like the setting that they've really stuck with. And I think this would be good for at least three or four seasons. The, at least the reimagining of the David Koresh story with Danny McBride. And you completely the changed the ending. Thing. That is, that's, yeah, it's got the Tarantino-esque ending. That's beautiful, bro. That's beautiful. That's absolutely lovely. That's a big money idea right there. Because I could really see it. That that would be some funny and painful shit to watch. To watch Danny McBride teasing a bunch of dudes who think they're, he's banging their wives. We can't even reveal that he's not banging their wives. Those like season three. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, season three. You get one season to really to realize he hasn't actually been banging them, but he wants to. Maybe a few of them. You know, one out of every ten or twelve, he he, he might get a few off, but for the most part, he can't do anything. I love it. That's perfect. And then he dies brutally at the end, and totally. Stevie gets the juice. <laughs> <laughs> Stevie's got to get the juice, bro. God, that's so good. And it's a terrible fucking event, of course, but I think it's been long enough. You know, if he if, if Tarantino can do that with the Tate thing and Charles Manson shit, then I think uh, it's time somebody reclaimed and retold the legacy of David Koresh. It's time for a David Koresh reboot and reimagining. Yeah, for sure. It might even help the cult. A little bit the whole cult concept a little bit just a little bit just bring some comedy in you know change the stories around and make people understand that all of this shit is malleable and it doesn't have to be one way or the other you know just that that's, that'll help in the long run because people are definitely going to need to accept the word cult that's got to come back well you know what you could do is you could have it because they're they're live in the middle of nowhere they have to meet in, in town and their next closest neighbor is another cult where they're basically doing everything that they're doing just as efficient, but they're not sleeping with their wives. And he has mm. to make sure that they never find out about it. Like, if they find out that we could get all this done without me sleeping with everybody's wives, you know, the, the jig is up. It's over. 
that would be good. The, the the nervous interactions between them and the other cult to not give away too much information. <laughs> what oh, and that's out. when it starts falling apart because one of them becomes friends. And it's like, yeah, you know, wait a minute. So you, all of you guys don't sleep with, with Larry over at your cult? God, no. What are you talking about? Huh? Yeah, everybody sleeps with David. He takes on the burden of sex. <laughs> and they just talk about it as like, this, this is how all of this stuff happens, right? Like, no, you don't have to. You can just share things and, and build communally. You don't have to have them sleep with your wives. Well, that doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> that doesn't make no sense. What Bible are you guys using? Right. And then and then they slowly get hip to it, and then it starts to unravel. And then he has to start, like, killing people, you know what I mean? Because the information's getting out, so accidents are being faked, you know? So it's just, it's all this plotting and scheming and all of these potential things that could completely blow the lid off this cult that he's created. Beautiful. You know, and you just reimagine and retell that story and all the things that it would take. So, so, and then I like that too because then the whole cult concept isn't given just a horrible name because you see it being done across the way, perfectly normal and perfectly efficient, but just without all the extra shit. So it's so it's not an anti-cult series. It's not anti-cult. Right, right. I like it. That's a good. That's a good extra piece to put in there for the psychology of the watchers we're gonna need to gonna need to get back to the cult life and people are gonna have to let go of their preconceptions about the word cult just keeping us from a, a a beautiful reality that may be the absolute remedy to the bullshit we've dug ourselves into cult life may actually be the only way out so david koresh had a he, he had at least one thing right you know you can look like you said look at the amish you can see they got a whole bunch of things right and what they have overlaps is intentional community. Get with a bunch of people who feel exactly the way you do and are willing to find, put the work in and lead by example. Do that shit. Or start fucking everybody's wife and see how far that gets you. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of ways you can go with it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Get in where you fit in. Get in where you fit in, you know. Cult life is the way, and there's a lot of ways to go about it. And I'm interested to see y'all. I want to see the data. I want to see the data. So you can uh, get back to me. Let me know which which path you took. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let me know what statistics, the statistics are like, what the numbers are. And yeah, I'd be interested, especially in the ones who are banging people's wives. I want to interview you immediately. I got a lot of questions. What kind of safety precautions you taking? Do you have life insurance? All that good shit. (laughs) (laughs) Not enough of them have been killed that way. You know, a few of them are doing the same type of stuff, but not enough of them has actually died in the commission of these types of acts. So I guess that's why there's no real uh, consequence for it, because it's usually the cops. The cops come. They lock the guy up. They're like, they don't care about all the all the suffering happen, happening from these wives. It's just, once you get to the to the underage folks, then you get in trouble. You can't yeah, have it. Yeah, it's just, let it let it work itself out. Yeah. It would have, you did not need to shoot in the tear gas and fire the guns. It was gonna work itself out. Eventually. Yeah, if you just were patient. We could have came in there and just cleaned up the one guy 
and then said nothing to see here. Right. <laughs> and nobody saw nothing. Right. There's I wouldn't no, even ask no questions. We don't know <laughs> what happened. There's obviously no cameras in here. We're living in like the 1800s. Uh-huh. So it's it's a mystery. We found them like this. Maybe he was eaten <laughs> by a bear. I don't know. We, we found him like this. He was uh, clearly ter- torn apart by at least 30 people. Like, look, I don't know. Look, we just got here. He was here. I don't know what to tell you. Listen, if I was on that case, I wouldn't even ask no questions. Look, you want to scrape him up or not? Just he's available. Take him. Man, dude, imagine being the cops that are like set up in the neck in the little ranch across from his and you spying on him. You got all the details. You know what's going on over there. And then one day you get a call and he splattered all over the floor. Would you even need to ask what happened? <laughs> <laughs> like this is clearly a rage murder. It's not like he got shot or stabbed in the back. Who done it? You know, was it was it Colonel Mustard? Like it, you don't have to do all that. This guy was banging thirty other guys' wives and that they weren't allowed to bang, and now he's mauled. It looked like a bear killed him. Like, oh well, okay. I didn't think a human body could take three hundred and sixteen stab wounds. Right. <laughs> I would think you'd run out of space. No, we counted every three hundred and sixteen entry points. Right, and a bloody sledgehammer. So that's what we got from the scene. Just mangled. He would be kind of close to the consistency of soup at that point. <laughs> Chunky soup. Right. Right. So what what would be left is for you to mop this guy up and uh, shake somebody's hand and say, you guys enjoy your lives. It's that scene in Casino where Joe Pesci and his brother are getting left in the hole in the cornfield. Right. And they've just been bludgeoned with bats, and their entire bodies are black and blue. Just quivering meat bags. Yeah, it's like three, it's three and a half levels beyond that. Like that, that's just phase one in the David Koresh murder. So I ain't mad. I wouldn't be mad at all. I wouldn't ask no questions. I'd be like, well, you know, this is what happens. (laughs) This This is what happens. I'll get the uh, I'll get the guys out here with the suits to clean this up, and uh, you find folks get on we'll, with the day. We'll we'll put it down as a suicide. <laughs> <laughs> he used to yeah. work for the Clintons. Clearly, clearly, we'll put it down as a suicide. Stabbed himself four hundred times, <laughs> <laughs> and then hit himself in the head with a thirty pound sledgehammer. <laughs> Resilient little fella. <laughs> Fuck. Fucking Rasputin over here. This guy, it took a lot. Like, yeah, he was, uh, he was had some kind of fit. They said everybody said he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, this is what we found. Like, yeah, we'll okay. add him to the COVID numbers. Got a COVID. <laughs> probably, probably three hundred stab wounds, sledgehammered skull, COVID, one hundred percent. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad. I'd let everybody walk. <laughs> I'd be a terrible detective. I'd be a horrible cop because I'd let every, I wouldn't I wouldn't try at all to convict anybody who brought that man. <laughs> you have the most arrests but the least amount of convictions. Right. Like, dude, like you tampered with the evidence. You didn't document this right. You're just like a cop on the inside. Like you don't like I gotta arrest you, but don't worry, the charges aren't gonna stick. I'm purposely incompetent. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I'd be that cop that they'd be coming up to me 15 years later, like. We found this case file where this guy was stabbed 300 times and his head was crushed with a sledgehammer. Suicide. And he was suicide? Yeah, suicide. Yeah. yeah. 
So everybody at the scene told you this was a suicide, and you, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. the matter? What's the why? What happened? <laughs> There's no cameras. <laughs> right, that's your first thing you say. Like, no, I believe him. There's no cameras, so. <laughs> I mean, oh it, it, it's not like he had boxes and boxes of DVDs with the elite fucking kids. Oh. It's not like that. I mean, he clearly he killed himself. Easy. If you believe Epstein killed himself, you got to believe. Dude, David Koresh killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we got it, dude. This is uh, another, another million dollar idea. So if anybody who's listening has connections with uh, Netflix, make sure they send us a check. Don't be. Oh old no 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 no! This is HBO, dude. Oh HBO. This, this is sending some money our way. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. 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 That's how HBO can overtake right now. All they got to do is find some uh, maverick creators like us and just preemptively send them big ass checks and buy our intellectual properties. Yeah. I think that's the way to do it. Not all that old shit where you try to. Bring us and try to pick us dry and leave us out to it. That's old paradigm stuff. We were moving into a new world. What you do is you just send us both a million dollars. And then you say, you're in business. I like the way you guys think. Come on, let's let's make some good shit. And, how- and I'd even be willing to take a smaller sign-in budget for a percentage of the revenue down the, down oh, yeah. the line. Because I'm absolutely convinced that this this will be their most successful franchise since Eastbound and Down. And it'll <laughs> eclipse it. And the fact that we 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 basically fed uh Jody Hill and um what's his name? Kenny Powell, uh, Danny McBride. We 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 handed them on a silver platter their next great intellectual property. This is like right up their alley. Yeah it is. One hundred percent. One hundred percent and it's, to see Will Ferrell as like cameos, like I don't know if he's the other cult leader who's not banging anybody. That's or, exactly who he is. He's the other cult leader. That's perfect. That's perfect. And like a Jesus vibe. He's definitely because he did something with the he the car dealer when he was the car dealer. Yes. With that whole vibe right there. Super eccentric and with off the, the wall. Rick Flair hair. Rick Flair hair, but he's like, What? I'm not begging anybody's wife. What are you talking about? That's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> got all the charisma, all the vibes. Doing something like that. <laughs> That's an easy way to get yourself stabbed 400 times. <laughs> I reckon a man might be murdered over something like that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, while they're both standing there, yeah, that's amazing. There's a lot of comedic, uh, a, a lot of uh, comedic meat in there. There's a lot of shit to dissect. A lot of little personal relationships. You can build and yeah, it's that's that's good material. That's good material. I must say so myself. If you came up with that in the writer's room, you get a promotion the next day. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have got you a promotion. You getting you go into the boss's office with that one. And uh, and I guess the best way that you could do it is I think with parody you don't you don't have to pay anybody royalties or anything. So you don't need permission from the family or anything. No, yeah. You just put that little disclaimer on the front. Any likeness to any real-life characters is purely coincidence. But it's clearly David Koresh. Right. Oh, man. I just want to see it because I would like to see what that character, what Danny McBride could do. Oh, yeah. Because he's such a jerk anyway. 
even when he doesn't have the upper hand in the power dynamic, like no matter, he's, he's always a jerk to a fault, right? So, and he, he does it so well, so good, so effortlessly. So, to be in a position like that where you're David Koresh, you got everybody's wife sleeping on the same, like that's an unbelievable level of power for such a petty, disrespectful person <laughs> to, to wield. Like, I would just like to la- get baked and laugh at the shit that he would say to these husbands. <laughs> oh my gosh, it would be amazing when they go on their outings and shit. They're all playing baseball together. He's making comments and people. Like, the shit would be beautiful. The shit would be beautiful. It would be never-ending cascade of disrespect until he <laughs> <laughs> and his boy going crazy on the other end, having some real deal mental lapses and breakdowns and, and you know visuals of himself hurting, hurting fucking David Koresh and. All of that, three seasons at least, at least maybe four if we really want to draw it out. But if you want to be super concise and powerful, I say three seasons. Yeah, three seasons, ten episodes a season. You don't drag it out, you know. But you just hit hardcore, rapid fire, the best. Because when you, when you drag it out too much, it gets watered down. You know what I mean? But I think you could do three high powered seasons, and it would be perfection. 30 episodes to tell yeah. that story. Yeah. That feels about right. Your man can go crazy in 30 episodes. Especially if you start early. Like, you know, you don't start in the middle of the cult where everything's already up and popping. Well, you start, everything's already popping, but you start at the beginning of this guy coming to the cult. When he first gets there and he gets finessed out of his wife and and then he just devolves from there. Yeah, and for have it to have it be a dark comedy where you could get at least once or twice a season, it'd have to be some reason for somebody to get murked or just to set the stage for them to get used to people dying or something happening and buying guns and shit like that. So there would have to be some type of underbelly shit a little bit each season. But then the third season, you end with the grand finale of destroying this guy. What song plays as he's being bludgeoned to death? Oh, my God. I don't know, walking on sunshine. <laughs> That's in the running. <laughs> yeah, just like a slowed down version of it. I don't know. Yeah, that, that'd be amazing. It's got to be something totally off, though. Something totally off. Something happy and bubbly. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Know, I'm hearing like the girl from Ipanema. Yeah, something totally so out of context. <laughs> Something light and fluffy. Whatever it is, it would be the song that was playing on the radio the day he pulled up to the cult. Mm. The day he pulls up to the cult. And blood splatter into that that dainty little tune. Right. Whatever was on the radio the, the first day he arrived at the cult with his wife, it would be totally insignificant at the beginning of the first episode. Right. But we would call that back to that'd be like the last day that he had a true hold on his sanity was that day. And that's the last moment of, that he had true sanity was when he was listening to that song. And it came back when he started bludgeoning this guy to death. Because that's, yeah. that's the only way to get yourself back is to bludgeon the guy to death. I hear, um, I definitely hear a uh, walk on by with Isaac Hayes somewhere in the movie too. <laughs> in the, too. Just the, oh, yeah. the epic violins. There's some scene. There's some scene somewhere in the series where that's blaring. But yeah, the, <laughs> the murder scene has to be something quirky and light and just totally just doesn't fit. Right. Yeah. 
And uh, Danny McBride, he, he's going to be playing Welcome to the Jungle. He <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Jungle when he's walking around the ranch checking out everybody's wife and shit. Uh, yeah, this 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 shit has to be written immediately. <laughs> this shit has to be written immediately, dude. I'm just looking at the Google. I just Googled the characters. I'm just looking at his face. I'm like, bro, that's David Koresh. That is <laughs> David Koresh in a dark comedy. It's. I feel like it's already happened. It feels too real. That's how you know it's good stuff. And he doesn't have the mustache. He just has the stubble with the glasses. But yep. his his Jerry curl looking hair. It just yep. works perfect. It's perfect, bro. It's absolutely perfect. There's no better actor to play, the, especially the David Koresh that we want. Right. There's no, there's no better actor. <laughs> and it's so funny because you didn't even go straight to him. You went to the writer. So you were already in the right energy. <laughs> You're like, we got to get that writer from Eastbound and Down. I'm like, holy shit, wait a minute. <laughs> there's our David right there. It would be perfect. It'd be perfect. It's got to happen. It's gotta happen. That's gotta go in a letter uh, in a letter to HBO or something. We, we gotta call HBO. How many phone calls do you think it would take to actually pitch somebody? Uh, I don't know. I guess if you just called <laughs> until you got that cease and desist, why not just keep trying? <laughs> or just start telling people that HBO is already interested. <laughs> Reach out to <laughs> Karen from HBO reached out to me. Right. I got something I really think you'd like. Yeah, that's amazing. That's what you do. You just start telling people that HBO wants to buy it to 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 gain some attention. And then eventually they'll be like, you know what? Maybe we do want to buy it. Yeah. I, I definitely watch it. And I don't watch a whole lot of stuff from beginning to end, but I feel like uh I feel like I could watch three seasons of that. Oh yeah. I'd I'd want to see that. That'd be one of those things where I can't wait till Sunday evening. Is it come <laughs> on 8 p.m.? Comes on 8 p.m. Okay, I gotta watch it. Gotta watch it. Yeah, it's gotta have some Breaking Bad elements. It's gotta have some type of, you know, a really adult, dark, you know, uh, not dark, but uh, vice life type shit. Something else has to be going on underneath to keep yeah, it interesting. suspense, drama. Yeah, to keep it interesting. Because the main story is the guy slowly going crazy. But we can't give that up right away. It just becomes part of a bigger and bigger part of the story the closer we get to the end. But this, the, this, like you said, it's going to be named for him and the guy who kills him. That should definitely be the name of it because it will t- let you know that they're going to they have some type of weird relationship. But once the guy starts losing his mind, I don't think any man, I think any man who any man who watches it is going to know how it's going to end. <laughs> I don't think that twist is going to surprise anybody. Maybe the fact that we rewrote it, like, uh, you know, like Tarantino would do or has done, maybe that would get some, you know, garner some attention. But for the most part, I think any dude who watches it is going to know exactly where we're going. Like, oh, he's going to fucking kill this guy. <laughs> I just see him walking up the stairs real slowly. And it's the down, but down, 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 and like he put and like and there's a jump cut and is uh uh like like the do 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 doom 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 brown like as soon as you hear that hard guitar strike it's just a jump cut and his hand is on her ass and they're walking up the stairs real slow and he's like looking behind like with a little wink looking at the dude. As he's walking upstairs with his wife, 
Like it's just a it's just a scene to just make you hate him. <sighs> and you're you're in there, it's like walk on by. Yeah. You just don't pay this any grug. attention. Yeah. It's it's the the it's it's it, it's in that it's in that vibe. And they would always use like that was another th- good thing about those um uh those uh series, I don't even know what to call them, but um they would always have like this really ill music to go along with the whole with the whole show. They would put some funky dope shit in there. Yeah. Yeah, and I like I said as long as we come up with some some underlying sub stories some breaking bad shit to keep it uh, salacious. Yeah, <laughs> I think people will dig it, but uh, this this might be one of the most marketable ones yet because it's got familiar <laughs> subject matter. It's not just us launching off some weird idea. This is just a slight tweak to an idea everybody knows already, which was one of the rules of uh, creating good stories that I saw was uh, people were saying uh, good reasons to farm, uh, not intellectual. I was about to say intellectual property, but what is it when the um, copyrights are up and not public domain? Oh, yeah, yeah. Going into public domain and finding stuff that's been either recently put there or has been put, has been there for a long time, and you just take the story and flip it. So if it, that would give you more reach than if, say, you had a cool story, but uh, nothing really to attach it to. You just want people to like it and, and get popular. You might be better off if you go grab some some public domain shit that people kind of already know about and then just kind of tweak and weave your story into it and use that name recognition and that little bit of popularity that might exist for it to help drive your own shit. So tweaking uh, a story that people already know is a power move when it comes to uh, selling units and just getting people attached to it. So I think uh, retail, and and there was recently, um, the David Koresh documentary was just like a year or two ago, right? Maybe two years ago? Yeah, it wasn't too long that they had the show on the Hallmark channel. Right, yeah, I know it was on Netflix and all that too, not that long ago. Well, I yeah. want to say, like, at least at the latest, 2019. Yeah, it's within the last three years. Right, so that's still fairly, you know, I mean, I know attention spans are short, but it's David yeah. Koresh, bro, you know what I mean? Yeah, he when it went... David Koresh. Oh, absolutely. He's, at this point, he's just become, for better or for worse, the icon of supreme mind control. Right. He, you can't, nobody else can, and... and the argument that you laid out is is ironclad. There's yeah. there's there's no disputing it. Killing yourself in anticipation of the spaceship, drinking the Kool Aid, nothing compares. <laughs> Mass cult suicide is nothing, nothing compared into a living cut com- cuck commune. There's <laughs> nothing on that level. All these dudes are handing over their wives and working with you and sleeping under the creaky floor. In the room beneath where all the action happens. The cuck community. We live in cuck community. Oh, dude. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think that is, that's the gold standard. Everything else is child's play. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is child's play. It's like, oh, you got a, you got a bunch of people to kill themselves? Oh, what? Let me guess. They were depressed and suicidal anyway, right? Like, yeah, maybe, maybe a little, but uh, it was still pretty. Yeah, that ain't shit, bro. Let me show you what I got going on over here. I have a farm with 30 happily married men give me their wives and work my fields. Right. They work my field. They come just they work my fields all they day. They work my fields while I plow their wives. Just to come home and sleep alone. 
Yeah. While I'm upstairs creaking the floorboards. Creaking the floor. <laughs> I made it. I made sure when we were building it, I'm like, yo, make the floors extra creaky. Yeah. I wanted whatever, just put like a, a couple centimeters less concrete than you originally, just whatever we got to do to make sure it's just a little unsturdy. I want maximum creakage. <laughs> maximum creak. I want you to be able to know exactly where I am if you're below me. If you're downstairs, I want you to know exactly what part of the house I'm in. I want you to hear me walk from the master bedroom over to bedroom number six and then back to the master. I want you to hear all that. I want you to hear it. This is part of my, you know, this is part of the compound rules. You can't turn a blind eye to this. You must embrace it and transcend uh, the hurt, transcend the pain and the embarrassment. That's what's holding you back. But can you really be, I don't even know if there is embarrassment at that at that point. Like I said, it, it would be funny to explore how they're all in denial and dealing with it. Be, because how can you be humiliated when everybody's your peer? Everybody's in the same boat. <laughs> and you're all there, and then there's the the compulsion and the drive to like be righteous, because that's the standard in the community, right? Is that you've who's handling being unburdened with sex the best? You know what I mean? Like I don't want right. to look like the least spiritual dude here. Like I'm just obsessed with sex, and I, I'm concerned about my wife getting banged above me. You know, because then I wouldn't I wouldn't be very high on the spiritual hierarchy in the value system that that community created. So they would all be peers living in denial and finding some way to like just push it deep, deep down, <laughs> just deep down and not be bothered by it. So to see all of these men become filled with estrogen and have their own little community where they have like this, this coping mechanism within the commune, that would just be a hilarious thing to, to explore, dude. Nothing, just ships and bottles all over the house, <laughs> knitting, whatever, you know, model airplanes, just all kinds of, just, it's just, that's all they're into. Because they've been, Mindless they, they, yeah, they've been deprived or they've been unburdened from sex. They're free now. And how are they, how are they utilizing their freedom? I put ships and bottles. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how I deal with it. I put ships and bottles. How long do you think it would be before one of the guys is like, uh, guess whose room David went to twice this week? Mm. That's right, my wife. Oh, <laughs> how long before it transcends into it transmutes into pride? It changes the embarrassment to like I think he. I mean I know he bangs all of our wives, but I think he actually likes my wife the best. I think Shelly's doing something special up there. <laughs> I think he's, he's taking, really a taking, real, a he's taking a real shine to it. Oh, bad, bro. Bad. And she's just the one who comforts him the most about his dysfunction. Right. She's just the nicest. Listen, it happens. It's okay. I'm supposed to be a leader of this cult. I fucking, it's not working. So I'm you fucked are. up. She's like, no, you are our fearless leader. She talks, yeah, she's giving them good pep talks and all that. No, I, we can't make it. We he, he can't be sympathetic though, because he's gonna get destroyed at the end of the series. So right, it's a cute, <laughs> cute little mushroom. It's a cute little fella. He's coming out. He's coming. Oh, that's bad, dude. Yeah. That is that's it's fucked up. This is not good. It's bad, bad, it's, not good. Yeah, somebody, somebody's really experiencing this. Somebody actually had to live through that. And uh, yeah, I don't know where's he at right now. How's he Ooh. coping? 
Yeah, because there are survivors. I don't know how you reintegrate into society after that. Nah. You have to completely deny everything. There's no comfortable situation where somebody knows who you are. Right, like, you yeah. really have to just start a whole new life. That's like some born identity shit. Like, I'm just going to France. I'm starting over like a spy. Like, I'm just gone. It's Hitler fleeing to Argentina type shit. Like, it's a new life. It's just every nothing happened in the past. Because oh, yeah. there's there's no way you could be like, oh, yeah, you know, I used to be in the David Craig. Because you know that it immediately tells everybody what they need to know about yep. what you went through. <laughs> like, yep. yeah, oh, yeah, me and my wife used to stay at the Koresh compound. Really? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, you just got to find another cult. You just got to find another cult. You don't, you, there's no going back. You don't reintegrate into society. You got to become a Scientologist. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're in another cult. Um, yeah, you're in another cult and you just never speak about, yeah, there's no, there's no going back to regular life. That's over. Yeah. That's over. Yeah, I can't imagine it, dude. That's, that's the, the deepest of all mind fucks. You, you live through that. And maybe I'm, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on, you know, what is what essentially boils down to as maybe the assumption of ownership over other people's bodies. I, so maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm speaking from that space. But there's other people who live in these communities and shit where, you know, everything goes every which way and everybody's fine. But I'm just saying in this particular setup where you're not even allowed to have sex with your own wife there's only one person who can like that that's a special caveat that's not just like yes. cult orgy life that's just, that's very different for him and, saying he's the only one that can do it and we're assuming that these were people that weren't all because kate there, there's people that are probably completely on board we're assuming these are people that aren't wired like that that have that had to go through that obviously if you're detached and you don't care then it didn't affect you at all but i'm saying for somebody who's wired for monogamy was experienced, got talked out of it. Cause there's certain situations like I, I don't, I, I try to never have situations. I try to never have my girl even get me close to where like, I would have to just die. You know what I mean? Like there's certain situations where you can't live with yourself. So a situation got created and now you have to die. Like it's just stupid. Like babe, cause if this happens then I got to do this, because you couldn't live with yourself having, damn, I di I should have reacted or I shouldn't have, you know what I mean? Right. Like there's certain, yeah. like if you fail to protect your wife or protect, like there, I think there was just a movie with Will Ferrell that goes about that. I forget who his wife was, but he like ran instead of saving his wife and kids. Like when there was like some snow, like some avalanche. So he thought there was going to be an avalanche. And instead of him doing the right thing and like protecting his family, he abandoned them. Like, he just ran away to, just to save himself. So, like, after mm. that, the family looks at him like, dude, like, we can't we can't take you. So there's just certain situations where once that Rubicon is crossed, the only option for you is death. You know what I mean? There's just nothing. Because you couldn't live. And I just feel like that's one of those situations where you couldn't live with yourself. You just couldn't. You're yeah. just broken after that. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. Dude. Yeah, I just look. I didn't. I never heard of that movie, but I just saw the quick premise. Is yeah, those sons like, well, if we're all gonna die, I might as well save myself. Type shit. No, there's certain situations where you have to die. 
you have to die because the humiliation of living after that just makes life it's like it's unlivable and i can think of a few scenarios in my head where i'm like i would have to protect my wife and just die even though i'm like babe this was stupid we could have avoided this what are we doing in the bronx at two in the morning like i'm gonna have to die so she can escape but it's better because to survive having not died in that situation just makes life unlivable right oh um well, I, that that's i guess that's sort of what was in usual suspects with when he was telling the story about kaiser soze where he, he chose to go the other route he killed his whole family <laughs> he's like i'll kill them rather than letting them have to live past this day i'll just kill them and then i'll go on a complete rampage and murder everything you've ever known so he was just like uh i would rather see them die than to have them live after all of this shit has taken place today so I, I guess I can see what you're talking about a little bit in there. Some shit you don't want to... The psychological torture would be worse. Right. So you just say, fuck it. Right. Ostensibly, you're dead at that point. Yeah. Like, if you don't die in that moment, you, you, you don't have a life to go back to anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's real. That's and real. that's what that David Koresh moment is. That's that that's that for any uh, regularly wired person, like you either you you're either not really in love or you're not wired from an like there's something that's just not there. But if it's if it's wired like that and you endure it and go through it, I'm 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 sorry. I don't it would be good. Man, I don't know. Anybody that survived it, it would be there's gotta be some sort of follow up. I I, I, I gotta think that there was at least a few people that made it out of there to tell their story. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a couple of people. I think they're probably selling books and, you know, doing speaking engagements and shit like that a couple of times a year, I most likely. I used to let David bang my wife. Let me look that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You probably get triggered if you go to one of his seminars and say that. I'm pretty sure dude would be upset. Up, oh, you were supposed to already be dead, dude. You yeah, wanted did you... to continue living after that, like... You right. should have already killed David and been in prison. You're right. How you're you living on a timeline that, that you're not supposed to be on. Yeah, you're not even supposed to be here right now. You're invading reality. You're invading. We got we got to get Larry down here with his eight ball jacket to fix this timeline <laughs> because there's no way this dude's supposed to be alive. Yeah, hey, I get it. I get it. But do what you got to do. I ain't mad. The only thing, like I said, the only thing uh, I, I have to say about Koresh and his madness is the, the underage thing. But other than that, some was playing ball. Everything's fair when, with consenting adults. Nobody was being forced. Nobody was getting hurt. He had that part on lock. There wasn't no violence in the community. Had a nice little farm going. It was just a Everything powered... else right. It was just powered by cuckoldry. <laughs> he had a cuck-powered farm. <laughs> it's like Monsters, Inc. collecting screams. He was collecting masculine despair. Fuck, dude. He's a, he was a genius. I, I wanted to say evil genius, but, you know, I can't, I can't even really say that. Dude. I mean, he was... He was smart, bro. You gotta you gotta have some serious smarts to pull that kind of shit off. That's not that's not regular survived. 
14. Clive Doyle. Yeah, he sounds like a cuck. Um, Sheila Martin. So she had to been in the harem. Doyle lost his daughter in the blaze while Martin lost her husband, Wayne. Okay, well, he was already lost. <laughs> Wayne just oh. stayed. He just, I'm right. not leaving. Fuck it. Right, fuck it. Just, this is, this is, uh, this is a kindness. Harvard educated lawyer played on the series by Damore Barnes and her four eldest children. They believe that at the end of days, Koresh and their loved ones will all be resurrected as martyrs. Somebody asked me one time, they said, do you blame David Koresh for all that happened to you? Doyle told Texas Monthly in 2018, and I said, no, I blame God. God is supposed to be in control and permitted this to happen for a reason. Okay. Wow. I'm not going to argue with you. Right. Talk about not taking responsibility. It would have been a scapegoat to say you blame David. Because you're supposed to be blaming yourself in this situation. But he totally just was like, you know what? I'm going big. I'm going big. I'm not going to blame David. I blame God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's go all the way to the top. Hey, go for it, buddy. I can't believe you're still alive. I can't believe, I, I don't know how any man survives that. Right, there's no coming back. There's just no coming back. I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't know. Waco my, is my partially based is way too fragile. <laughs> on the memoirs of survival, David Thibodeau, who managed to escape the burning compound and today lives in his hometown in Bangor, Maine, where he plays the drums in a local band. He bangs wow. drums. He plays the drums in a local band. Dude, I need to go see that band in Banger, Maine and just order a beer and just start screaming questions in between songs. <laughs> I feel like the simulation, it's just, it's always cracking jokes. You bang a drum now. That's what you do. Right, yeah, that's your You job. had to listen to the squeaking floor for years, and you live in Bangor, Maine, you live in banging Bang- drums. Yeah. This is the end that the simulation would give you. <laughs> it's making memes out of your life for, for living too long. Yeah, you were supposed to die. You were supposed to die yeah. killing David Koresh. In a, in he a was, but he said, said that's his hometown. He was raised in Bangor. <laughs> so he, knows, he knows the drill. He knows all about that, bro. He's raised in banger. He was always going to be a cuck. And not that that's a bad thing. It could be a great thing for some people. You know, take all the pressure off. You can kick you, put your feet up and relax. Now you don't have to worry about it. Somebody else is taking care of it for you. That's a good feeling for some people. You know, you, you hire somebody to paint your house, fix your car, all that stuff. You know, cucks just take it one step further. And you know what the worst part of this is? Um, well, an interesting part. I guess there's a lot of terrible parts. Um, he's sympathetic and still speaks uh, respectfully of David Koresh. He has to. To all the people that he hurt, I'm not. I can't be an apologist for David Koresh, he told the Dallas Observer. But I feel for people that have had negative experiences at the hands of David. Let me put it that way. I think about those people, whether I agree with them on every point or not. Everyone has a right to their experience. So that that's the best possible PR I guess I could think of. 
Like he's not condemning the dude at all. Wow. Like he was on to something about unburdening us with sex. I'm what not what saying nice you have guy. to agree with me on everything, but he had he had some good points. I bet he's still unburdened. He refuses. <laughs> he refuses. <laughs> he he refuses to cast any aspersions upon David Koresh. He's like, listen, I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There's still some good stuff here. I think you could call him up tomorrow and he would live on the compound and be willing to do pretty much anything we said. Like, look, you don't have to have a wife. We don't need to bang her. Just, you know, you're built for this. He won't trust us. He'd be like, wait, so you don't want to bang my wife? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are even what taking kind of yourself seriously. you guys running? <laughs> yeah. Is this amateur hour? I don't want to come to your amateur cult. Call me when you need my wife to bang. What kind of fly-by-night bullshit is this? Yeah, he wouldn't He wouldn't be on board for that. You got to go all the way. Yeah, you're right. You got to go all the way. There's no coming back, bro. And David died with his burden, so he can never have it back. Yeah, he kept it. He kept your burden. You can't get it back. So it's got to bang drums and banger for the rest of your life. Yeah, you'll never be burned with sex again. Once you hand your wife over to a, a cult leader, yeah, you, you've, you've been unburdened forever. There's no coming back for that. Once you hand your wife off to what? <laughs> what did here, you honey. just say? Come here, honey. What the fuck shit did you just say? Honey, we're talking about the David Koresh's cult. We're not talking about any ideas. I don't have any machinations in the works for you, honey. I would never share you. Okay. That was some wild ass shit just to hear. Well, honey, you shouldn't be ear hustling. <laughs> I just passed by the room and then I heard passing your wife off. Honey, I'm 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 what talking. What kind of shit is this? David Koresh saved people from the burden of sex. He took on the burden of sex for all these men that lived on his cuck farm and handed their wives over so he could be in the upper room on squeaky floors in the room above their husbands. I just wanted to know what the fuck you were talking about handing over wives, okay? That's it. All right, well, thanks for knocking first before you came in. I love you so much. Don't say wild shit like that, and then I won't have to burst in. Honey, that's all I do on this fucking podcast is say wild shit. This is That's true. the whole point well, of this. If I ear hustle it and it's uh, offensive to me or I need to inquire, I'm going to do it. Honey, I love you. Bring me another Bye. glass of wine. I love you. I, I think talking about upgrading <laughs> um, wives and shit and upgrading or whatever. There's no uh, upgrading, uh, honey. It's the burden of sex. You let me. I'll send you some literature. That was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, she's not with it. I could never get in that cult. Even if I was dying to get in. That's amazing. And then she added upgraded. Like, wait, you trying to upgrade, bro? (laughs) (laughs) That was great. That was perfect. Oh, man. Well, well, I do have a... uh, I do have a little bit of practical mysticism for today. Thank God. (laughs) <laughs> we need it, right? Yeah, well, to wash this all off, please. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So this one is not even, you know, it's not going to be a ramble for me. It's just something that I had read about a while back, and it came back across my radar recently. So I was like, you know what? This is dope just to bring it back to the front of the brain. This uh, thing that's attributed to Socrates about information. 
called the three sieves. And so it's supposed to be that he was uh, chilling somewhere and somebody walked up to him and said, uh, I need to tell you something that I just heard something about a friend of yours. And Socrates is like, hold up. So before you start talking, have you uh, passed this story through the three sieves? And the dude's like, ah, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. And so he says the first sieve, in which most people probably know, is like a strainer. Uh, the first sieve is the one of truth. So you ask yourself, examine what you know, ask yourself, is the thing that you came to tell me true? And the guy's like, not really. I don't know. I just overheard somebody talking and I just wanted to come tell you about it. He's like, all right, well, the second sieve is a sieve of good. Like, is the thing that you're going to tell me good or is it positive? And the guy's like, uh, actually, no, it's kind of bad. <laughs> so he said, okay. So the third sieve is, uh, is it necessary? So is this something that's going to be useful for me to know? Is it going to help me at all? And he's like, I don't know. It's not, not really. So basically at the end of that conversation, it's like, why would I want to hear about this shit if it's not true, if it's not positive, or it's not necessary? Just don't even don't even bother me with that shit, bro. And I think that's a perfect system to use when it comes to sharing information on the internet, talking to people you know about shit. I just think that's a good thing to keep in the back of your mind when you're trying to share information with other people or you're about to receive some information from somebody and the energy is a little bit shaky. I think that's a good thing to, to put into play to ask people like, yo, before you start telling me what you're about to tell me, just ask yourself these three things. And after you go through those three things, it's very likely that they won't even want to tell you no more. So I think that's a, uh, that little system is a powerful thing to keep in place. Just hold it in the back of your brain and just know when you're about to receive some information or about to share some information, that's a, a, something that we might want to put into play. I think that leads to a better world. Absolutely. 90% of the shit I tell my wife If she used that system I wouldn't be able to bug her With my obnoxiousness <laughs> so I can't let this information get into her hands <laughs> Yeah that, that, that'll cut off all your uh, All your inroads to uh, to annoying Yeah You gotta have some of those laid Those roads gotta be laid out You gotta have them shortcuts All I do is I'll just come up with outrageous theories And I'll tell her I read about it On a QAnon website Honey, it's really important. I heard it from Q. Listen, I want to tell you all about it. And then she stressed for the next week about old men <laughs> eating babies. She's like, what the hell did you tell me? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I'm keeping that in mind for sure. That's a good one to, to use from the media, too, bro. Oh, my I mean, God. If you applied that, and you almost could not watch the news, period. Right. 99% right. of the time, it's not true. It's not good. And it's not necessary for anything in your immediate needs. Right. So what's the use? It's what just... purpose does it what purpose does it actually serve? If those three things aren't in place, what purpose does it really serve? What is it there for? I have to inform you to be miserable. How are you gonna be miserable if you're not letting any of this right. in? Exactly. You need this. Exactly. No, the three sieves, dude. That's that's definitely uh that's definitely a piece of information that, that should be like on on a little sticker somewhere for people to remember that needs to be in circulation that needs to get back into circulation. Socrates, people been sleeping on that one. 
Well, why do you want to blissfully and exclusively be focused on things that are germane to the productivity of your own life? Why would you want to do that? Stop. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. I got some gossip that'll piss you off for six hours. Take these unnecessary things that aren't verifiable that are going to make you feel like shit. Just think of the... There's other things you could be doing, but fuck it. What do you want to... Stop it. I don't think you're depressed enough, honestly. Look, if you're either going to... You're either going to join the cuck farm or you're not. <laughs> you got a perfectly functional cuck-powered farm over here waiting for you and your spouse. Yeah. It's the only way to escape the news. Come to the cuck farm. Come be miserable. Yeah, y'all. We appreciate everybody that's listening, everybody that's donating. We got a couple people sending us donations for the show. Oh, that's lovely. Dope. We got some sponsors. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, let's let's get this uh, David Koresh TV show made for HBO. Let's get that popping. <laughs> that one goes immediately to the top of the list for name recognition. And, yeah. for, uh, and it has a possibility of helping us clean the cult title a little bit. It's there cult laundering. Go. Cult wandering. If you got an inroad to Danny McBride or Jody Hill, get them this information. Yeah. And this is already time stamped, so they have to pay us something. Yeah. Yeah. Just do it right. Like I said, new paradigm yeah. thinking. Don't make us come after you, embarrass you, get you canceled, ruin the show. Like, don't. And, you know, I'm black, so you, you could be racist. You could be anti Semitic, depending on how this goes. So don't, don't, don't do no funny style shit. Just give us the money and make good TV. Yeah. You can't hate the blacks and the Jews. In oh, one no. folk swoop. Right. You get nowhere. You get it's nowhere. Terrible. Destroying yourself. Career suicide. <laughs> so do it right, fellas. Let's go. Let's get this made. Danny McBride, you know you want to play David Koresh. <laughs> this is the role you were made for. <laughs> you were born for this. Everything else was just practice. Eastbound and down, the foot fist way. That was all just practice to play David Koresh. Bro. Trust me. Get you ready. This is, yeah, this is the tour de force. This is your magnum opus, buddy. Right here. Yep. This is it. Three seasons, thirty episodes. It's concise, and it ends in a in a in a fucking black swan. It ends in your brutal murder. You gotta love it. This is your Malcolm X. This is this is this is your moment. This is your powerful. This right. is your powerful moment on film. This right. is your chance to change cinema forever. Does he get a Sam Cooke song when he goes to his last sermon? Like he's walking to the church. Into the, <laughs> does he get Sam Cooke singing in the background? He gets he gets something. We haven't figured out the song yet, but no, oh. Sam could that was too powerful of a song. Not the no, not the murder song, the last walk. The last oh, walk to the podium. Okay. The last walk to the podium song. When he, he wakes might. up, he's putting his shirt on, he's getting dressed in slow motion for the last time. <laughs> he's gotta have a powerful song. You know something's going down. <laughs> uh, I think the I think the black exploitation soul music might be the key because it's so out of context. <laughs> so like Isaac Hayes and shit and they're like why are they playing this shit bro <laughs> Soul oh. Searchers I don't understand what is it? Why, why does Baby playing? Huey have a song on this show It just seems out of place I wish he didn't trust me so much <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god dude Perfect it's, it's, it's been lovely. I got to go take a huge shit. I got like eight gallons of pancakes and biscuits. Right. I have to get rid of immediately. Take care of that. All right, bro. Always yeah. a pleasure, dude. Yeah, man. I'll <laughs> check you later. Peace. Bless.